JLB here on October 6, 2016. What you're about to listen to is from a live Google Hangout which took place on July 2, 2016. In other words, I'm recording this intro about three months after the Hangout in question. I've been wanting to revisit this broadcast for some time, and once you've finished listening, I think you'll see why. Put simply, the genuine skeptic is like an intellectual martial artist. He knows how to use every single offensive made by his opponent against his opponent. He knows when to duck, when to weave, and when to counter. He knows how to use his enemy's apparent strengths, such as size or weight, against him. If he is active in the sport, he constantly works on his own weaknesses. If he is also trained in the art, he knows only to use his powers for good. If he is at one with the philosophy, he is at peace with the world. The analogies go on and on. I personally still have a lot of improvement ahead of me, as do we all. The system we were born into and raised to be part of intentionally trained us to be the opposite of sceptical. Like muscle memory, these bad intellectual habits we learnt in school and through TV can take a lot of time for us to even realise, let alone attempt to rectify. We are trained to believe that rote memory of words in a book constitutes knowledge. We're trained to believe that authority is the arbiter of truth. We're trained to value ourselves above others the longer we remained in the tutelage of that authority. If we don't realize that we're being, or have been, poorly trained, we become lambs to the slaughter when we make the fatal error of picking a fight with a genuine skeptic. Which is precisely what happened when characters by the names of Sean Hufford, Red's Rhetoric, and Atheist Rex, and a few of their comrades, decided to invite me to an impromptu, live Google Hangout. As I was soon to discover, it was an ambush. As they were soon to learn, they ambushed the wrong guy. If one is trained merely in sophistry, one ought to avoid arguments with those trained in both logic and rhetoric. If one's training consists merely in regurgitating what one was told by authority, one ought to avoid debates with another whose hobby is to study and critique the teachings of that same authority. Put another way, if one is not well-versed in genuine skepticism, both the theory and the practice, then one ought not under any circumstances attempt to ambush somebody who is. The results will be embarrassing for he who makes such a mistake and provide untold lulls for those in the audience. I'm sure my long-time listeners will enjoy what you're about to hear. For those of you who are new to my work, this will make for an intense but, I hope, worthwhile introduction to JLB, who I am, what I do, and why I do it. Having listened back to the Hangout myself recently, it struck me that this is one of the things I ought to focus on more going forward. Not the mere presentation of relevant historical and empirical facts, but a more expository analysis of what skepticism is and how it can be so useful not only when dealing with authority believers, but in our day-to-day lives. The problem with the masses today is not that they believe the wrong things, but that they feel so compelled to believe in the first place, allowing charlatans, deceivers, and the deceived to fill their heads with so much nonsense. For background, Red's Rhetoric is a well-known heliocentrist and NASA supporter on YouTube 
who has had many run-ins and public debates with the leading flat-earth pushers in this scene. He took part in Baller Skeptic Roundtable 11, which I hosted, and was aired on August 19, 2015, approximately one year prior to the hangout you're about to listen to. This was the first direct contact we had had since Besser 11. The rest of the backstory will become more clear to you as the show goes on, so please bear with it. Things may seem tedious at first, but they set the stage for what is to follow. I entered the hangout approximately 90 minutes after it began, having not heard any of what was said prior, and what you're about to listen to is the roughly two and a half hours I spent in the hangout thereafter. This time can be roughly divided into two sections. The first 35 minutes or so are spent dealing with Red's complaints about Besser 11, then the next two hours are spent discussing heliocentrism and related scientism topics. I strongly recommend you listen as objectively as possible to the differing views and opinions presented without taking sides, no matter how much you may like or dislike the characters involved. Let the arguments and questions presented speak for themselves. Remember that you're listening to some of YouTube's leading science spruikers, teaming up against a man whose opinions would be considered by most regular people to be crazy. Well, let's see who seems crazy after the next two and a half hours, shall we? I hope you enjoy the chat as much as I did. Welcome to sir? my hangout, sir. Can you guys hear me? We yeah. can hear you. Nope. Excellent. Well, hello to everybody here. I've uh, chatted with Reds in the past. Reds, good to see you again. But to the other three, I haven't met you before. So, uh, hello. John LeBon here. How are you all? Hello, um, John LeBon. I'm fine, and thank you very much for coming. I know it was hey, kind of short. It was actually no notice, and I really wasn't intending to invite you invite you to it. But Red had a question for you that he wanted. You to relate to Simon Lebon? No relation to Simon Lebon, and I should say this is the first time I've had a chance to chat with Red since the debate on episode eleven of the Baller Skeptic Roundtable, which was about uh, what was that August or September last year. So, the best part of a year ago, and I actually did say the week after that episode that. I'd probably gone too far when I said that, um, well, I made some critical comments of Reds that I don't think were warranted, and so I did make uh, like a public apology that, that week for saying that no matter how I feel Reds conducted himself on the debate, I shouldn't have uh, been as critical as I was, and uh, and I did apologize for that then. So Reds, uh, even though I don't really agree with you about a lot of things, I think I probably went too far with my criticism of you once you'd left, so... Uh, I do apologise for that, even though it's a year later. This is still the first time I've spoken with you since then. So, um, so I hope are you, you can... a flat earther? I, n- uh, hang on, hang on. Uh, I did. I did not actually know of any of your criticisms because after that, I just kind of did my own thing and went on with my life. the The issues that I was going to bring up was not in regards to the debate. It was mainly on one thing because you can disagree with me all you want. I do not stop people from having the right to be wrong. Because if, if you don't have the right to be wrong, then what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but when it, when it comes to just one particular point where you said, and I'm going to not exactly quote you, but say pretty much exactly what you said, that I did not agree to the terms and conditions of the interaction that you and I had when we had our conversation previously because you said that I was restricted to a time limit on the actual hangout, and you can see this at 2 hours and 39 minutes in. But if you look at the actual Skype chat that you and I had, 
it was agreed upon before anything even started in text that I actually had an unlimited amount of time to actually get the points that we needed to get across. But when we actually did it in real life, we were literally rushed off the podium, or at least Ziller was. And I would like so, to know, and I would like to know your your response to that, or why it, why that was a thing. Okay, so we, you wanted to talk about the, I guess, the way that the debate was run. So, you and I had a one hour, it might have been more than now, maybe seventy minute Skype chat prior to that episode eleven, and we discussed all of the the idea of how the debate was going to be run. You and I did. Okay, now. Obviously, I didn't record that chat, and you said during that show that you didn't record it either. So if nope. we have different versions of what was what was said during that debate, uh, during that Skype chat, then we've got different versions of what was said. However, if you look at the way the debate was run for the first hour of that show with that Critical Unity fellow, uh, we followed the same format with him that we intended to follow with you. Now, the original plan was that you'd get 15 minutes to present your case, and then we'd go through it. You ended up getting 90 minutes. Now, if you can show me any other example of somebody coming on to a debate where they've been told that they've got 15 minutes and then they get 90 minutes to an open audience to, to plead their case, then uh, I'd love to see it. I think you were treated much better than uh, you could have been asked to have been treated. I basically, Red, you got to speak to flat earthers for 90 minutes, more or less uninterrupted. Now, if you were to give me the same audience with heliocentrists, it'd be game over. In fact, I could do the job in half an hour to show them the problems with their belief system. you got 90 minutes to do it. So if you're still sitting here 10 or 11 months later complaining about your treatment, well, then I respectfully disagree with your memory of the Skype call. And I would say to you, you probably got treated a lot better than uh, just about anybody else in this entire scene has been treated by somebody from the other side. Does that make sense? Most of what you said is completely irrelevant, and it's based on the one thing that, yes, while the audio version of the call that we had was not recorded, because this was an agreement that you and I had, and it's agreement that I respected. Believe me, I had every opportunity to record the Skype call that you and I had. But the thing I wish is, you had have done that. I wish you had it. I mean, well, I wish I had of now in hindsight. Oh, I, I wish I had of too. But the thing is that there's also a typed version of this little interaction that we had, and it says this, quote, from me, if that's what you want, I will expect that you will give us as much time as we need to make our case without interruption. I have somebody coming in with me. I will give you my case, and he will give his to complement my own. I misspelled something there and said he. And then you said, yep, the more detail you give and explain your model, the better. Uh, the, the better. Many people out there don't even know the things gravity are supposed to work, how distances between celestial bodies are supposed to be calculated, etc. They simply take things on faith. The more time you spend explaining the official story, the better. And I'm just going to stop it right there. Regardless how much time people in the past got, John, I was not ever aware of any of the episodes beforehand because when you did your call out of me was actually the first time I actually heard of your name. I didn't go back in time to up to your other videos to research this, nor did you instruct me to do that to be prepared with the way that your format was. It, my expectation of how we were supposed to be treated was to be centered around our conversation in Skype. And by this screenshot that I'm showing you right, right now, it shows you actually agree to as much time as we need. And if 90 minutes is not enough, 
to get through the metric F-ton of evidence that we have for our model, then it's not enough. We need more time. But what you did on the show was rush Mari Ziller through his spiel. Anything? Sean, is it me or is it? Well, he's not muted, and I don't know. Can you guys see me, John? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. We can hear there, you. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there, sorry there about was that. So. Yeah, sorry question. about that. So, a, a couple of points. Firstly, the other person, the other heliocentrist. Uh, wasn't a previous episode. It was the same episode that Reds and Mario was on. He was also given his 15 minutes to present his opening case, and then we got into a discussion about it, and he was able to stick to his 15 minutes. So it wasn't a previous episode, Red. It was the exact same episode where somebody else was given the same 15 minutes. Was I there for that part? In terms of that thing that you've got on the screen right now, that was from our Skype uh, chat, and nowhere there that I can see are you specifically referring to the introduction 15 minutes. So you and Mare were given as much time as you wanted. It was you who left, followed by Mare. It wasn't us who left that hangout. We could have spent another two hours there. So time was unlimited, but the idea was that you got 15 minutes to present your opening case. And nothing, like that private Skype chat that we had that you've released, doesn't say anything about the opening 15 minutes. So you've tried to present that to the world as, look, I've got proof that JLB said we could have as much time as we wanted for the intro. But your evidence doesn't actually show that. So you've released private correspondence that doesn't prove what you're suggesting it proves, and still it was you and Mare who left that chat before any of us did. So you were given exactly what you were told you'd be given in that private Skype correspondence. Can't you when, see how when, embarrassing this is for you, Reds? Uh, I'm, I'm still waiting to see how it is, considering I say, and I'm going to be quoting here again, I will give you my case. And then it says before that, I will expect you to give us as much time as we need to make our case. It does not, under any in any way, shape, or form, say between a certain section of our debate, whether it be opening, body, or closing. I said our case. My case is the entire package throughout the entire conversation I had with you, John LeBon. And in this Skype uh, screenshot here, you, we can see you're actually agreeing to giving us as much time as possible. So if that's not what you intended, then what I would expect is the following an apology for not making yourself more clear, because obviously what we're seeing here is a direct contradiction to what you're telling me right now. Or two, at least in the future with your future guests, be clear about the time frame and time constraints because it's been obvious that we were not given a fair shake because we had a lot more. You think that 90 minutes was bad, John LeBon, that was just a tip of the iceberg. We were gonna go on for a lot longer than that. Ask well, you did go on for a lot longer than that. You were given over two hours, and again, it was you and Mare who left the hangout. So you were given unlimited time over two hours, including a 90-minute introduction. Now, this, this, this is your best piece of evidence that you were somehow double-crossed or misled, but even your best piece of evidence, there's nothing there saying you're going to get an unlimited introduction. And can you show me, can anyone on the panel show me, when there's ever been a debate where one side was allowed to just speak for as long as they wanted right at the start of the debate. It's absurd, Red. You've gone, oh. you've, 
you've gone too far here and you've embarrassed yourself and I can't believe your other panel members haven't pulled you up on this. Even well, when you've on, released John. private even when you've released private correspondence supposedly showing that you were misled, even your private correspondence does not show what you're trying to claim that it shows. Can none of the other panel members see that? This is ridiculous. Well, since you're asking the other panel members, I'd like to address one thing real, real quick. Your video is actually one of the first videos I ever watched about the Flat Earth. Your video introduced me to Red. So I watched your video before I knew him. And at no point, when you opened up your video, you said it wasn't a debate, that you were just giving them the opportunity to give the best proofs that they had that the Earth was a globe. There was no debate mentioned. So for you to keep saying it was a debate and following a debate format is actually very dishonest, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but yes. So if it wasn't a debate, what was it? If it wasn't a debate, what was it? You did, you were getting, you, to quote you, and I might be getting a few words wrong here, but so I'll say it's paraphrased. Um, you were giving them the opportunity to prove that the globe was this, the model. That was it. There was no mention of a debate at all in that video. You, you even mentioned so, in your opening call-out of me that if you wanted it to be a structured debate, we would. Now, I decided that that would not be the route that we should go down when we had our private correspondence. If I remember correctly, what we actually said was I was going to go on and, and bring the case. I was going to, and I let you know about this uh, beforehand, I was going to show that geocentrism is told bollocks, and then after that, I was going to have Mari Ziller complement that by showing how we know for a fact the geometry of the planet. Now, as I was going through this, you kept you kept wanting to rush us through the actual presentation, and we did a lot of work on this for your guys' benefit, nonetheless, with slides, actual mathematics, actual observations based on those mathematics, and a guy who was knowledgeable in the math and the observations to actually explain it and answer all of our questions. And that is not what happened. Instead, instead of wanting to actually listen to it, you decided to cut us off. And the reason why we left was not because we were given all this opportunity and we were failing to make our case. It's because you kept replying to us with straw man. Look at your own video, John LeBond. What's the last thing I say? Make one more straw man and I'm leaving. And after you made that last straw man, I left per my promise. Did I not? All right, so let me respond to that. Firstly, going back to what uh, Sean said earlier about it not being a debate, that's fine. I agree with him. It wasn't a debate. It was meant to be a discussion. Now, one side talking for 90 minutes is not a discussion. 15 minutes to present their main points to then get into a discussion is more like a discussion. So whether it's a debate or a discussion, the idea that one side should just sit there for 90 minutes or two hours, I mean, what, how, what, what's the limit to this? What, how long should one side sit there while the other side is talking? It's utterly ridiculous. And the notion that I would plan that, that Reds and I would sit there before the show, and I would say, sure, Reds, why don't I put together a hangout with an audience of people who largely disagree with you, and you can just sit there for two or three hours completely unhindered. I mean, take a step back and think about this for a moment. It's utterly absurd. So, Sean, I'd ask you, do you think that what took place on that show was in any way unfair to Reds or to your side, that they were given 15 and then ultimately 90 minutes to present their case? Do you actually think that that was unfair? Well, going by your description, right along, right here, I actually just pulled up a video. Join Matrix Decode, or yeah, join Matrix Decode, David Weiss and host John LeBon for another installment of, of Ball Earth Skeptic Roundtable. 
This is a special episode featuring three ball earthers who will give a, who will be given a fair chance to argue for and defend their ball earth beliefs. Special guest ball earthers are Critical Uni, Red Rhetoric, and Mariah Ziller. There is nothing there about a debate. And on and on the own on the own chat, you you keep mentioning that it shoots me in the foot. I fail to see how, considering from your own section, what you typed yourself, the more time you spend explaining the official story, the better. By the chat that you and I had, I was under the impression that, yes, we would be able to spend as much time as needed. And, in fact, that is what you say here that you wanted. The more time you spend exp explaining the official story, the better. You are contradicting yourself, John Laban. Where's the hold on? Let me respond. Where's the contradiction here? You were given unlimited time. It was you and Mare who left because you didn't like answering questions. Okay. No, that's that what, was that's not what, it. Oh, uh, just let me speak for a moment here. That's what happened. It was you who left, and then Mare Zilla. It wasn't us. So you were given unlimited time. The the point of contention here is the introduction statement. Now my story is that you and I discussed this on Skype before the show. And you agreed to the 15-minute introduction, same as Critical Unity. Critical Unity stuck to the 15 minutes. You then came on after Critical Unity and took not only 15 minutes, but 90 minutes. So the point of contention here is you're claiming that I agreed or would, for any reason, say that you could just have uninterrupted time on our show to present your case. You seem to be claiming that maybe you were allowed to have 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, no limit, and we would just sit there. Not only is that not a debate, it's not a discussion, okay? So your story is that you were told you could just come and speak for as long as you wanted. My story is that you were given 15 minutes as we gave to the other person who came onto the show. That's the point of contention. Your piece of evidence is me saying that you'd be given unlimited time. You were given unlimited time to present your case, but nowhere there does it say that you would give get un unlimited time at the start of your show, at the start of the show, at the start of your presentation, to just speak uninterrupted. It's utterly absurd, Reds. It's utterly then, absurd. So, right, then right, so I, I, I want to say something here. The text pre this arrangement specifically states that he's allowed to use as much time as is needed, and the longer and the more info he can give, the better. And then when he goes live, all of a sudden you implement a limit. I'm not exactly sure who's the most dishonest person here. The idea, okay, so maybe the idea. maybe there's some misunderstanding here, okay? So you've got the show or the portion of the show with Reds and Murray Zilla where we can spend an hour, two hours, three hours chatting about their heliocentric beliefs, okay? That was given to them. They were the ones who decided to leave. What I think Red's concern is with the introduction statement, which we agreed to being 15 minutes, same as Critical Unity. So now the objective listener has to take a step back and think, well... What does make more I sense? I don't, I don't know that just, you're actually talking the truth. Just, just, just hear me out here. So the objective listener has to sit back and think, well, what makes more sense here? Does it make more sense that a, a group of people who've built up their own audience are going to allow other people to come on and just speak uninterrupted for as long as they want, no debate, no discussion, or does it make more sense that they made the same stipulations for the other heliocentrists who came on, which is that you can come on, you get 15 minutes uninterrupted, then we spend the rest of the time discussing what you've presented. And I think if people are being honest, they'll realize, actually, JLP's story makes more sense. The only piece of evidence that Reds has provided to supposedly contradict me actually supports everything I'm saying. He was given unlimited time. Nowhere in that private correspondence do I say that his introduction 15 minutes 
is going to be unlimited, and it is absurd to say think it's that any host of a show would agree to that. Minutes either. And, I, and I'm going to actually it, it nowhere dis- does it specifies that. I'm I'm also going to actually d- disagree completely with our correspondence because the correspondence that we had was mainly about why you're inviting me on and what we're actually going to be talking about and who's going to be taking. Uh, the reins when it comes to a certain topic and I informed you during that correspondence that I would be taking on the task of showing that geocentrism is total bullshit and then Mare Ziller would be coming on to show that we know about the geometry of the planet. That was the correspondence that we had voice to voice. This screenshot here shows that shows there was no sectioning of your show and yes you actually did agree to give us as much time as needed to explain the official story. In fact, you say the more time we explain, the better. So I was under the impression that that would actually be the case and that you would not, sir, be rushing Mari Ziller through his presentation, giving you exactly what you wanted, a lot of evidence, a lot of information. You made it seem like, hey, you guys seem to know your crap. Tell me what you know. Oh, we know a lot, and we were going to let you know, but instead you kept interrupting us and then replying to our evidence with straw man. That's why we left John Laban. The reason we left was because we weren't we weren't going to get and we weren't getting a fair shake, nor would we being asked legitimate questions that could actually be pertinent to the topic at hand. You decided... Let me respond to that. Just let me respond to that. So you were given – ultimately, you got 90 minutes, okay? Ultimately, you and Mare got 90 minutes with a captive audience who had to sit there and listen, 90 minutes to present your case. If you're saying now that that's not fair treatment, can you explain to me and everybody else what you think would be fair? If 90 minutes – Okay, to introduce your statements without any interjections, be, any contradictions from the rest of the panel. Oh, sorry. Just, just hold on. You guys have to learn. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You guys have to learn to let other people speak and not interrupt for more than 30 seconds. Okay, not please. Not when you're talking it'll make, bullshit. It'll make, it'll make you look bullshit. a lot more professional and presentable to the audience if you just let other people not speak. Not when you're lying. Not when you're lying. Let him say what he wants to say. And then I'll respond. If 90 minutes to present your case to a captive audience, no contradictions, interjections, is not fair treatment, then what exactly do you think fair treatment would be? I'm going, I'm going to shock your mind because I'm going to tell you what would be uh, fair treatment. To let me know that there's a 90-minute limit in the first place would be fair treatment, John Laban. What would so be you fair actually treatment? plan to hang come on, on there. Hang, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Not done yet. What would be fair treatment... It's not hype me up with these dreams that I'm going to be given unlimited time per your 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 Skype convo right here that I'm sure. Tell me that there was going to be a li- a limit before we actually go on the show. That would be fair treatment. I'm not going to tell you something that's not going to be reality when you actually come on the show, John Lebon. That would be fair treatment. Is that so hard to understand? All right, so I'll respond. So we've agreed that you got 90 minutes ultimately to present your case. You're still saying that that's unfair, all right? So I would simply ask you and everybody listening, can they think of a single time when a heliocentric skeptic like myself was given anything close to that open air time on a heliocentrist show, a heliocentrist believing show, to present the other side? 
I'm not aware of such a time. I think you were treated better than John, anybody on the irrelevant. other side has been treated. Okay. John, that's that's, 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 irrelevant. Irrelevant. that's irrelevant. You're not actually because... answering his question. Yeah. Right. I will answer the question. Now, I hosted a debate between Red's Rhetoric and Zeteticism.com. We, we actually went through the format and agreed on it with all of the time limits in the format that we were talking about before the debate happened. I think the area of contention right here is that you, you posted to him in text that he'd be given unlimited time. And then in the actual video, you limited him. You kept on interrupting, and you kept on bringing out questions, which may or may not have been straw man, which I think most of them were. But you kept on interrupting him, which is going against what you actually put in your own description, that they would be given uninterrupted time. The, the contention is not the, the time limit, John, nor is the contention what other people have been given you in the past. The contention is what you yourself promised. Now, if you think that I don't deserve 90 minutes, at least tell me in the chat beforehand so I know exactly what I need to cut out of my, uh, my spiel, my presentation, so I can make it within that timeline. Because the thing is, is that my when I crack my head open and I spill all the contents out, trust me, it can go for a lot of time because, like it or not, John LeBon, there is a shitload of evidence for my position and jack shit for any of the positions that I debate against. And you were asking for the contents of my mind, and in this in this uh, chat that I'm showing on the screen right now, you were saying the more time I explain the official story, which is what I believe, the better. And so if it was in actuality supposed to be limited to 90 minutes, 45 minutes, 30, 20, 15 even, what would be fair, John, is to tell me that limit before I even go on the show and not hype me up with this dream that I'm going to be spending. Oh, you can spend as much time as you need to explain the official story. In fact, if you do that, the better. All right, so just let me respond to that really quickly. Firstly, in the live chat, they seem to be complaining that we're still talking about this debate, and they're trying to say that I'm the one wasting time here. They should be aware that, firstly, I was invited to this hangout randomly, and secondly, I didn't know that people were planning to spend 15, 20 minutes talking about a debate that happened almost a year ago. So I'm the one answering the questions or the challenges from the panel members right now. So if this is wasting time, uh, don't blame me. Uh, there are other people to blame, but a couple of points. Firstly, Sean, I didn't realize you were the one who hosted that debate between... Zeteticism and Reds, which I did listen to in preparation for my own debate with a flat earther Antonio, and I thought that you moderated it terrifically, and I actually tried to emulate some of uh, your format for the debate in planning the debate with my with myself and the flat earther Antonio Subarad. So, Sean, now that I know who you actually are, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I thought you did really well with that debate, and I thought your format was terrific, and I thought that because you set that debate up with that format, Zeteticism, who I've never talked with before, I've, not, I've got nothing bad to say about him, I don't really know him that well, but I thought he got shown up in that debate by Reds because he simply wasn't planned for the format of the debate. So, uh, Sean, firstly, now that I know who you are, good on you, and uh, if you go back and listen to my debate with Antonio, you'll see I tried to keep a similar format. As for you, Reds, yeah, look, I, I understand. It sounds, to me, it sounds to me like your biggest uh, problem here is that in your mind, you were going to be allowed to come onto our show and speak uninterrupted uh, with your introduction speech, your introduction presenting your case, you believe that you're allowed to come on and speak for as long as you wanted, which apparently was going to be 90 minutes or two hours, and you feel as though because you didn't get that, you were misled or what have you. 
Now, that's obviously very unfortunate that you feel that way. However, I think the facts are still on my side. The best piece of evidence that you've presented doesn't say that your introduction statement will be unlimited. It simply says you'll get unlimited time during the show, which you did. It was you and Mare who left. The other person who came on before you stuck to the 15 minutes, as was agreed. It said in the info box below the debate that you'd get 15 minutes. And even though your recollection of our one-hour Skype chat might be different to mine, and sadly we didn't record that chat, I remember it very clearly saying that you'd get 15 minutes, which I still think is quite an extravagant amount of time, uninterrupted to present your case. Even after you'd got that 15 minutes, you were given another 75 minutes, which I think is extraordinary and unprecedented in this scene for one side to be given that long to present their opening case. But if your one concern, your one big beef with me is that 15 minutes at the start, then obviously that's unfortunate. If we ever do something like this again in the future, the big lesson that I learned was record the Skype chats when you're planning the debate. I didn't expect it to be anywhere near that hostile. In fact, when we were planning that debate, that episode 11 debate discussion, call it whatever you want, I was hoping to be a lot more cordial because I thought we'd get a lot more achieved if we just sat down and said, here are the facts that we can prove. Here's why we believe in this model or that model or what have you. Unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. It was very hostile. It wasn't very constructive. And, of course, the guests, yourself and Mare, left in a half and a puff. And I don't think you did yourselves or your belief system any favors whatsoever. So hopefully we can put all this behind us eventually. But if we're going to sit around here for, what, half an hour, an hour, talking about uh, a private correspondence that I don't even think proves your case. Like, how, how long is this going to go on? Surely there's more interesting things that we can talk about. Maybe we can even just talk about the shape of the earth right now rather than talking about the stipulations for a debate that took, took place a year ago and where I'm saying, and I'm pretty confident most people with their objective will agree, the private correspondence you've released actually suits my side of the story more than it does yours. I mean, how long are we going to sit down here and talk about this? All right, you, you said your piece, I'll say mine. I think it's clear for anyone with the capability of reading that they can actually look at this and see that you're full of shit on that. And if anyone actually is objective and were to watch the debate, or not debate, but the discussion that you and I had, I think it would be clear that the way you actually handled yourself was of the piss-poor variety, that I was there giving you exactly what you wanted and that you were cutting us off replying with straw man and then eventually when we left you decided to count that as a victory and you did do that and I have a I have it downloaded and recorded so that we can see it for ourselves if you want I would say your biggest takeaway for this is to be clear is that when you are talking to somebody you actually need to specify what their time limit is whether you agree or not, you did not tell me this. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And I would have saved me, Soy, and Mare Ziller a lot of time putting together two hours, over two hours worth of evidence for your guys' benefit, for your show's benefit nonetheless. I say what you needed – the biggest takeaway you need to take away here is that you need to be clear with your scheduling. You need to adhere to what you agree with, and you actually need to own up when you fuck up. And at this point, I think you messed up pretty pretty badly here. This correspondence, this this uh, uh, screenshot is on my G+, and people can click on it and read it for themselves and make and come to their own conclusions. And I think they will pay particular attention to one part where I say I expect you will give us as much time as we need and then you saying the more time you spend explaining the official story, the better. But yeah, let's talk about the shape of the earth. It's round. Well, I, I want to say my, my one last piece. Now, John, it took you a lot. It, it actually shows a lot of, um, I don't want to say balls, but 
it shows a lot of honesty on your part to actually show up in a hangout with somebody you don't know, which is me. So I got to pat, pat you on the back for that. But I do got to keep in mind that it's because of your video that I got introduced to Red. So my, my views on this whole debate video that you have is actually an unbiased opinion between you and him because I didn't know either of you at this point. And my opinion has not changed from the time I saw your video. From what Red has shown, it does show a severe lack of making your point clear on how the format was. Now, when I was dealing with Zetezism.com, I made sure I sent the format to him in a private message. I sent it to him in a comment directly to him on one of his videos, and I posted it to a comment he made on my video so I could make sure he got it. It took us breaking an arm and a leg to get him into an actual video chat to discuss the format so everybody knew that he saw it. Now, like I said, you didn't make the format clear to him in your discussion with him according to that post that Red keeps posting. This is where the whole misunderstanding is coming from. When you set up a format, you have to make sure everybody understands the entire format. Because up until tonight, I didn't know that you had an introduction phase and then arguments, responses, and such, a, because it wasn't really a debate in the video. It was just presenting of evidence of why they believe the Earth is one shape or the other without arguing back and forth. Do you understand what I'm saying, why this misconception happened? Yeah, so a couple of points. Firstly, you weren't there for the one-hour Skype chat that Reds and I had. So when you say that it wasn't clear, well, you've been shown one back and forth from a Skype chat text, and you're saying that it's not clear from that, okay? Whereas Reds was there for the one-hour Skype call. So it was much more clear then, okay? Now, I understand you don't get to hear what's got, uh, what Reds and I discussed, which is why you can't know what was discussed. So if you prefer to believe Red's version of events, that's understandable. If you prefer to well, believe my version of events, that's understandable. But in the meantime, when you say that it wasn't clear what was discussed, what you've been shown might not be clear to you. But we had the private chat. Now, it sounds like you've benefited. You've done the smart thing and realized that the discussion or the debate or whatever it was that we had with Mara and Red's didn't go as well as it could because it wasn't all out there in the open in black and white what had been agreed to. So you made sure that everything was agreed to with your chat with asceticism, which shows that you've done the smart thing there, right? And this this is the thing. We're all amateurs here, at least I think most of us here are all amateurs. We're not getting paid for this. So people are going to learn lessons and hopefully improve on that, which is what you've done. So the good thing that's come out of this is you realize that you've got to get it all out in the open so there's none of this post-facto, oh, well, we didn't know the rules, blah, 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 nonsense. It's all out in the open, okay? I also learned from that, which is why in my correspondence with the Flat Earthers, Nathan Oakley and Antonio Superrats for our debate a few weeks ago, Prior to that, I made sure that the format and the topic were agreed to in uh, email, in, in text and black and white. So I also learned from that, you see? So I, then, I fully understand people saying, oh, well, we think it could have been done better. I'm completely in agreement. The best thing I could have done was said, Reds, you and I are not going to discuss this unless I'm recording it because there's a chance that one of us might somehow forget what we've agreed to and then complain about it for 12 months afterwards, I'm going to record this. That's what I should have done if I could go back in time. I've learned from it. Clearly, you've learned from it. That's the good thing that's come from all of that. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to learn from it, but I, like I said, going by the evidence that I have, because I wasn't a part of that conversation, I would have to say that there was a misunderstanding between what you typed in text and what was actually done on the show, based on evidence that I, I have personally seen. So, sure, and I'm sure that you'd agree that the evidence that you've got is a tiny fraction of the overall correspondence between myself and Reds. Like, you've got one back-and-forth text uh, chat. That's not enough evidence to make a, a comprehensive conclusion on what was said, is it? And you know that. Well, 
it's comprehensive enough to say that you you did promise it in an unlimited time for its case. Which he was given. They were the ones who left. There's nothing in that back and forth. How many times have we to go over this? There's nothing in that back and forth where I say that his introduction statement gets to be as long as he likes. Nothing in there. But again, in that back That's and forth. That's what you want to read into it. That's you reading into it. But there's nothing there. There's also nothing that limits it. There's, there's no mention of introduction. You, you, you keep claiming there's box. something that limits it, but that's not the case. But anyways, we've set our pieces on it. The topic is over. We can move on. Cool. Agreed? Well, I'd love to move on. I mean, I, I'd, to be honest, I mean, how long have we spent now? 30 minutes, 40 minutes? And we haven't actually discussed anything of great importance. We're talking about something that took place 10 months ago. So I'd love to talk about something more constructive than this. Well, this is why I, I want I want to, to ask the question to get to get your take. I got the take. I don't like the taste, but whatever. That's my problem, not anyone else's. So, yeah, the earth is round. You want to know why? Ask me why. Let's Let's have this conversation. Well, I think the Earth is round, but it doesn't mean that we're flying around the sun or the sun's flying around a black hole. And and look, if you guys want to get into a big discussion or debate about this, what you have to understand is if you guys want to believe that you live on a giant uh, ball, that's fine because I'm probably on the same page as you with that one. If you want to believe that that ball is spinning and orbiting the sun, then it's going to take evidence for you guys to convince me. And I know that you don't have that evidence. Now, you're going to say, yes, we do. We've got tons of it. Okay, fine. You can believe that. It doesn't really make a difference to me in my life what you guys believe about where you live. You see, and and th and this is this is why you know I was saying at the very beginning that you weren't listening because that's what my whole section was all about disproving geocentrism because the thing is is that ge the geocentric model is an inherent contradiction and if people would actually do the work and look into the mathematics of what's actually been shown they will find that contradiction this is exactly what 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 caused the revolution to begin with because it didn't expect it didn't explain for example retrograde motion it also it also didn't explain how you had objects beyond the orbit of let's say uh, Neptune was it breaking the speed of light all the time and especially if they're going that fast the centrifugal force would be absolutely phenomenal meaning that the earth would have to be multiple masses all at the exact same time so unless you want to believe in like the Earth can be many things at the exact same time, which I don't believe it can be. I believe everything is consistent, the uniformity of nature. And we would have to agree by default that the geocentric model is BS. And then we have to ask ourselves, what does make sense given the evidence that we have? And what does make sense, which actually conforms with the mathematics and the observations that we've made, which explains retrograde motion, which explains the orbits of, like, let's say, Neptune and Pluto and other Kuiper Belt object, is the heliocentric model. Okay, so you've just given me a whole bunch of words and told me that you've got all this mathematics, and that's fine. You want me I go think that if we sit down, I think that if we sit down and look at it, we're going to have to accept a few assumptions to come to the conclusion that your model is correct. And one of those assumptions is that the lights that we all see in the sky are solid physical objects. Now, I know that all of you guys on this panel probably fully believe that man went to the moon, and so that's proof that the moon's a solid physical object, so we can then infer that the other objects, the other things that we see in the sky are solid physical objects, and that's fine. If, if that's one of your foundational beliefs, then I can see why you come to the heliocentric conclusion that you come to. This is where I think one of the big problems is in all this uh, discourse online on YouTube between flat earthers and heliocentrists. It's that they don't understand that their problems are foundational beliefs. If you foundationally believe, if it's one of these things that you fully accept, that the lights that you see in the sky are solid physical objects, just like they're shown to you on Star Trek and Star Wars and this kind of stuff, then I can see why you'd believe that we live on an Earth that's putting the sun. That's fine. If, I can't change your foundational beliefs, okay? It's very difficult 
who are asked to change our own foundational beliefs, let alone change other people's. So if that's your foundational belief that the lights in the sky are solid physical objects, then fine, go ahead and believe in those centuries. It doesn't bother me. Where I disagree with this idea, the lights we see in the sky are solid physical objects. You might come back to me and say, oh, but we've got TV footage of men walking on the moon, and I'd say, okay, if you believe that that footage is legitimate, I'm not going to try and change your mind. I used to believe it was legitimate. I no longer do. So you consider it an impact here. Your foundational beliefs that lead to your conclusions very different to mine, and I don't like change And really, why would I want to? If you're happy John, believing in Hebraism, the more try and change your beliefs. John, John you're breaking John. up. <clears throat> John Lebon, this is Atheist Rex. Now, you're talking a lot about everybody else's foundational beliefs and how they lead to heliocentrism. You've not said a word about your foundational beliefs and how it leads you away from it. What are they? Okay, so firstly, uh, am I coming through better now? Is my audio okay? Somewhat better, yeah. Uh, close whatever was utilizing uh, bitrate. Hold on. I'll get rid of the live chat. Is that coming through better now? Yes. All right, yeah, sorry about that. All right, so foundational beliefs. So the first thing you have to understand is that I don't see anyone else with their beliefs about the shape of the earth as my enemy, okay? So I'm happy to sit here and have a polite discussion about any of this. As for my foundational beliefs, I used to believe in heliocentrism, human evolution theory, dinosaur theory, all of that. I used to believe in all of it, okay? I went through a very similar education system to what you guys did. And up until just relatively recently, a year or two ago, I believed all of the stuff that you guys believe, okay? Probably as fervently. Like I read Richard Dawkins' God Delusion back in like 2007 or 8 or 9, whatever it was. And uh, I thought Richard Dawkins was a, was a great guy. I, I looked up to him, okay? We're not, so we're not asking for what it isn't. We're asking for what your foundational beliefs are right now. And, and that's what I'm getting to, Reds, is that I used to have all of these beliefs until Don't I started fear. being... It's questioning relevant. of them until I started challenging them, right? And so things like the heliocentric model, when it was pointed out to me that it was based on this assumption that what we see in the night sky are solid physical objects, I thought, well, is that really an assumption? Can we prove it? I went back and I looked at the NASA footage of the moon landing and before long it dawned on me that actually a lot of this stuff wasn't very convincing, okay? I'm not convinced any longer that the lights that we see in the sky are from solid physical objects. They could be. I don't know. But what I've been presented with as evidence for that I no longer accept, okay? There's another one that I brought up with Reds and Mare in Ball Earth 11, Ball Earth Skeptic 11, which was this idea that you can weigh, you can determine the mass of the Earth through rudimentary um, experiments like the Cavendish experiment. A man before the light bulb was invented using heavy balls in a, in a big room to Correct. determine the mass of the Earth. Now, again, Reds, just before you go, I understand that you're going to say that you believe that Cavendish was a great man who was able to determine the mass of the earth, etc. That's fine. I'm not going to try and change your beliefs. I'm simply explaining why I no longer hold on to those beliefs. Does that make sense? Well, I'm waiting for you to get to that. You've been telling me what you used to believe. I'm wondering what you believe right now. Okay, so right now I live on this thing that we can all call earth, okay? Now, the part that I live in, Brisbane, it's uh, very hilly, okay? There's no flat parts around where I live, okay? And all around where I walk, if I walk 5Ks this way, 5Ks that way, I'm still on Earth. So just from my own observations, I'm not able to determine the shape of the Earth, okay? However, what I can do is infer a few things from the other phenomenon that we see. And there's a couple of main examples that I cite. The first one is the flights in the Southern Hemisphere. I have flown from Johannesburg to Perth, and it took me like eight or nine hours or something. That was back in 2010. Okay, now that makes sense if we're on a ball, or I guess if we're on a concave Earth, it doesn't make sense on any of the flat uh, models or maps, whatever they want to call it. it, doesn't make sense on any of those. 
does make sense on a ball or on a concave. Are you still with me? Good. So then we've got the stars in the sky. Now, I don't think they're solid physical objects, but there's something. There's something up there, and they seem to follow patterns. Now, there is a north celestial pole that we call Polaris. There's a south celestial pole that they call Sigma Octantis. Whether or not you can see Sigma Octantis doesn't matter. It does appear that the stars rotate direction in the southern hemisphere. John, your back. Your connection's bad again. Can you hear me? It, it's it's you sound like a robot. It's breaking up. So um, let me leave the thing. I'll come back. Just give me a minute. Mm -hmm. It's breaking up. Sounds like a robot. Anyone else want 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 to go before I reply to that? Yeah. Well, how long is he going to be out? I have no idea. Okay. Well, he's probably let's see. What do I say? What do I say? Okay. So uh, something I'd sort of been. Shaking my head at and well, Amon, it, Amon, move yes. the mic away from your mouth a bit. Okay, how about this? I don't think that's the mic that you're using, but John Lebon's back, so shut up for a sec. <laughs> Sorry. All right, I'll mute yourself and so you can continue, John. Continue. Can you guys see me? Yes. yes. Try uh, continue from where where you left off. Yeah, I'm sorry about this bandwidth. I'm, usually the internet here is pretty good, but anyway, so speaking, yeah, so so the flight solid. I think the flights are, um, you know, point to either concave or ball. They don't, they, they just do not corroborate with flat, I believe. Then you look at the stars. The stars rotate in different directions in the different hemispheres. Again, commensurate with uh, ball or with concave, I suppose, but definitely not commensurate with flat. Now, there's an end. Then also, you've got the aspect of, well, are we spinning or are the heavens above us spinning? And it seems pretty obvious to me that we can't sense any spin. And it also seems to me that some of the experiments that have been done, if you take them on face value, point towards no spin rather than spin, okay? Just just bear with me. So what does that leave us with? Well, I'm not saying that we live on a ball. I'm saying we live on Earth. I live on Earth. However, if I'm trying to come up with a model to explain or and predict the phenomena that we can see, I think a ball model makes the best sense. So if, if I am living in Texas and someone gives me a map of Texas, I'm not living on that map. That map is simply a, a useful tool for being able to determine where I am and then make predictions. If I go in this direction, I'll get here, okay? So the uh, the map is not the terrain. I'm not saying that we live on a giant stationary ball. I'm saying we live on Earth, but the best model that I've seen to explain the phenomena that I can agree, that I can see for myself, is a stationary ball model or what you guys might call geocentrism. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm not saying we live on a giant stationary ball. I'm saying that is the best model that I've seen so far to account for the phenomena that I do believe we can all agree exist. Does that make sense? Let me let me see if I can answer that question as well, but give you an example so you can uh, so you can learn. Here's here's what I believe. I believe in the uniformity of nature. I also believe that mathematics is a thing that can actually work. I also believe in the scientific method, and I believe that via these things, via these disciplines, that we can actually come to obvious conclusions. And I also believe that if you simply look at the moon, you can clearly see it is a solid object by, you know, the mere fact that there's craters, you know, from rocks that impacted the thing. You can't have an impact unless there's something to impact. And if the moon is, you know, fake now or a hologram now or intangible now, we would also have to explain why we feel its gravity, why it can actually be measured. And if Not it, to mention shadows. Shadows as well, too. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that 
some of us have the necessary equipment needed to take detailed images of the moon, and many of us have. And when you look at the detailed images of the moon from very close up, you can actually see shadows being cast. In order for shadows to be cast, something needs to block the light. That something has to be physical. So even by simply doing basic observations and knowing just the bare minimum of, of scientific understanding, just, just basic logic in all reality, we can determine that the moon is solid. And via the moon being solid, we can then determine its mass. And it is because of that mass that we're able to make the necessary predictions to make the moon landing successful in the first place. I'm not of the opinion that humanity is going to uh, have a gigantic dick measuring contest with the Russians, and then the Russians be totally okay with it. Yeah, they're not going to do that. I also want to want to say that by also looking at the sun through like a H H plus alpha filter, for example, you can see that it is a big ball of gas currently in a state of fusion. Obviously, something's there, and based on our seasons, because of the tilt of our Earth we can figure out its mass because we know how long it takes for us to go around and we know our distance because as I said mathematics is a thing parallax measurements can be made with uh, transits of planets recently we had one with Mercury which I also snapped with my own camera have those pictures if you want to see it as well so with the mathematics that we can do by ourselves, based on the observations that we can do by ourselves, based uh, based on basic logic and with those basic presuppositions of the uniformity of nature that mathematics actually work which is essentially the laws of logic we can come to the conclusion that the geocentric model actually does not make sense if anything it does the exact opposite it pretty much debunks itself outright so yes, uh, uh, go ahead, yes go ahead. Ron, in fact you talked about how you were led to this geo the geocentric conclusion or you know quasi you're not sure is I believe your exact position, but you haven't told us what facts, what observations have led you there. Uh, when you mention problems with the heliocentric system, I know of none. You haven't presented any, and I've listened to a lot, uh, not just from you, but a lot of other geocentrists. And their problems are their problems, quote unquote, always end up being misunderstandings on their part. Here I'm screen sharing a photo. Iman, mute. Uh, I'm screen sharing a photo right now of the moon that I took with my own uh, Nikon P900. And here you can see at the very top part of the picture, I zoomed in a bit. This isn't the full picture, as you can see I'm zooming in. If you zoom in onto the picture and look at the top part, you can see that the craters are partially obscured uh, in shadow by the rim of their craters. In fact, you can see a peak right here in the very center that is barely being illuminated, but the bottom part of it is actually in shadow because this rim is blocking the light. In order for something to block the light, it has to be physical, it has to be tangible, light cannot pass through it. And so this is evidence that I can show all throughout this thing based on observations that I've done myself that the moon actually is a physical object and therefore has a mass. And that mass has been calculated to 7.3 times 10 to 22 kilogram. All right, so just a couple of points. The first one is that you're saying that the mass of the moon has been determined. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm under the uh, impression that they use the mass of the Earth as a reference point, I suppose, and then determine the masses of the other so-called objects in the sky using Earth's mass as the base of the reference point. Is that correct? No. So how do they determine the mass of the moon then? 
simple. You mentioned it yourself. It was via the use of Cavendish. Now, here's the thing. First, you well, need that, to... That is using Earth as the base, then, isn't it? I asked no. you if they were using Earth as the base, and then you said no, and then you just contradicted yourself 10 seconds later, man. Come on. If you, if you shut up, you'll understand how I didn't contradict myself. See, in order to learn, you need to listen, okay? So... They didn't use the earth. They used the mass of the balls that was actually hanging from the ceiling. Oh, big heavy balls hanging from ceiling. Fun, it was such a funny concept. It works. You have to explain to me how a torsion balance is not a valid way of determining tension. A torsion balance does that by definition. And next, when we actually do – when we have the known mass of an object and we compare it to how much give it gets, which gives us the value of G – that means that this much mass corresponds to this much gravity. Therefore, by knowing how much gravity an object is generating, we can figure out the mass. Now, the, how much gravity an object is gener generating will have a direct impact on the orbit of an object that goes around it at a given distance. If the object is one mass and if an object is at a certain distance, it's going to go this fast. If an object is one mass and it's at a farther distance, it's going to go this fast. By calculating how far we are away from the center of an object like the moon, for example, which the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has been able to do with surprising accuracy, and timing how long it takes for it to get around that object, we can actually figure out the mass of that object. In fact, I have the mathematics right here. The mathematics are verbatim – let me bring it up here because I have it printed on a sheet right now. In order to figure out the mass of an object, let's say we're doing the mass of the moon, for example, we're going to use the following equation. We're going to use m1 equals f, which is the force, r to second over g, the universal gravitational constant over m2. Based on the previous notion of f equals big G, m1, m2 over r to the second. So now to calculate time, we can simply rearrange the equation to m1 equals 4 pi to the second, r to the third, over gt to the second, g for the universal gravitational constant, t for time. So we know the distance we are from the center of the object, we know how much time it takes to get around that object, and we know the universal gravitational constant, which means we can figure out m1, which is the mass of the object that we're orbiting. And keep in mind, <clears throat> the, Cav the sole purpose of the Cavendish experiment was to determine the value of big G. And with that, with that determined, you can you can pretty much uh, judge the mass of nearly anything. Yeah, we had we had the value for r to the third. We also had the value of t for time because we had a way of doing both of those. But we never had g. Cavendish got us g, which unlocked the equation to actually we could use utilize it to its full potential. And it doesn't just go for the moon. You can do this with the Earth and Sun to calculate the mass of the Sun. And if you do this, for if you look at each planet, look at the distance each planet is from the Sun along with its respective time of orbit, and you do this for each and every, every planet, and you do this, you plug their values into this equation, they all arrive at the same answer. All of them arrive at the same answer and give us the same answer we have for the mass of the Sun. As well, if you look at all the Galilean moons, for example, you know their distance, you know their, you know how long it takes for it to go around. All of them converge on the same answer for the mass of Jupiter. And so if you look at, like, let's say an artificial satellite nonetheless, but one that's still there, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, they post their, their orbit inc inc inclination, their distance, 
all over the net. So you can take the raw value, the raw numbers, plug it into the equation, and figure out the mass of the moon. And we see it matches perfectly with what the nameless, faceless day at NASA have been telling us the entire time. Okay, so can I respond to some of that? Eh. So my question was, do you need to know the mass of the Earth to determine the mass of the moon? And your response was no. So if the formula is F equals G times M1, M2 over R squared, then wouldn't that mean that we'd need to know the mass of both the Earth uh, and the moon to determine the force between them? No, because we also know that that also equals 4 pi to second R to third over GT to second. There is no M2 in that equation. No M2. Okay. So you're, you're saying that you can determine the mass of the moon and cut out the middleman of the Earth. You can determine the mass of the moon by using G, big G, which was determined by Cavendish. So you agree with that. So can I just sort of summarize your position there? You're saying that because of an experiment performed 200 years ago before the invention of the light bulb by a man named Cavendish, you're able to then use the orbital period of the moon uh, and the distance you believe is between the Earth and the moon to determine the mass of the entire moon. Is that a fair summation of your position? No, because I never brought the Earth into the equation. What, what you should say is, based on the works of a man who figured this shit out way before the invention of the light bulb, which was a brilliant thing to do and he's a genius and should be known for it, that by using modern objects such as the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, not the Earth, knowing its distance away from the core of that object, which we do, and knowing how long it takes to go around, which we do, we can plug it into the equation that was figured out by, by Sir Isaac Newton, m1 equals 4 pi to the second r to the third over gt to the second, we can then figure out the mass of that object. And if we do this, if we also utilize this equation with other objects, like, for example, every single planet in our solar system, they all converge on the same exact answer to the last decimal point for the sun, for example, showing that this equation is therefore valid. Of course, but wouldn't all of your calculations, whether it's for the moon or the sun, wouldn't they all sort of validate each other because they all depend on the same G constant? The same G, G constant, correct, but the G constant was found way before we knew the mass of the sun, nor, nor, and also it was found way before we knew that this equation would actually arrive at the same answer. See, but there's if, no if other this... way to determine the mass of the sun. Can you see what I mean? There's no other way to corroborate it. All of the people claiming that they know the mass of the sun or any of these other things that we see in the sky, it's all going back to these same formulas that depend on the G constant. So there's no, yeah, there's but, no other, there's no third-party verification of this. Just hear me out. Just hear me out. Once you've got the G constant, you can use this formula and then apply it to any of the objects in the sky, and they're all going to seem to match with each other. But they all still depend on the G constant, which you guys agree was determined by a guy in his shed or in his garage, or call it whatever you want, before the invention of the light bulb hanging heavy balls from a torsion balance, okay? So you well, guys all agree with that. Now, what well, I'm saying what I'm saying is, you know what? The idea that a guy, before the invention of the light bulb, could determine the mass of the moon, that's a bit far-fetched for me. I don't accept it. But you guys are going to say... And well, a guy 2,000 years ago determined the circumference of the Earth. Well, just a minute. You're going to say that that's not an argument. You, you can't just not believe in things. Did it? Well, I can actually not believe well, in things. And I can also say that if you want to believe that, if you want to believe that a man before the invention of the light bulb was able to determine the mass of the moon, then you can believe that. It doesn't John, really make a difference. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you mind for one moment? How about its predictive capability? 
Why is it that when we say there's going to be a Mercury transit, there is one? When who says it's going to be a Mercury transit? When it is, when it is announced, months, years even, before the event. There's going to be an eclipse. There's going to be a transit of Mercury across the sun. Due to what? Yeah, but when you say when we announce it, who's announcing it? I'm sorry? Who? When you say when we announce it, who's we? What are you talking about? When we... We, the world, we astrophysicists, we astronomers, we plain old physicists. Uh, I'll, get, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a person if you really need one. But For they example, follow patterns, don't they? Like, I can predict to you that the sun will come up tomorrow, okay? Yeah, so but, if can you you predict, enough, but can you, if you predict to me? Enough, you can predict these things. There are patterns can you tell here. Me John, when the next, John, and tell John. me when the next Mercury transit, tell me when the next Venus transit happens. Well, all I would have to do is find out when the last ones were and find the pattern, wouldn't I? They do not, no, that's not the way they operate. No. How do they operate? They operate based on the laws of orbital mechanics, which is based on the value of big G. That's what we're right. trying to tell they're you. They're the not thing, on a timetable. So, wait, so thing, you're saying is, John, you're saying that before the discovery of yeah. big G, they couldn't predict the transits of the star, the things in the sky. Is that what you're saying? Hang on, hang on. Let me let me also. Uh oh, go back uh oh, you might have just overstepped a little bit there. Are you saying that before big G, they John, couldn't make these kind of predictions? John, John, I'm going to answer that question, uh -oh. but you know, I'm going to actually get to yeah. it. Okay. But can so, they do that? But can they do it years in advance? I, hold on, I, hold on. Oh, let's go on, back. No, no, John, no, no, John, no, no, John, no, 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 Hang on, everyone, shut, shut up, John. I love your arrogance, and it's going to be so good to smash it to pieces. Because in order for you to say that I don't trust Mr. Cavendish over here because oh, it was 200 years ago and big heavy balls from the ceiling, that's not a valid argument. If that is honestly what you are going to go to to uh, disregard Cavendish. That is intellectually dishonest. You have to give me an actual, verifiable reason to not trust Cavendish's result, especially when we have modern-day equipment that can do what Cavendish did with fucking lasers and shit, with equipment so expensive that you and I won't ever see it in our lifetimes probably, and they're able to come roughly to the same result. In fact, the current value of G... 6.674 times 10 to, to negative 11 is not the value that Cavendish found. It's close. He got within 1%, but just because it's 200 years ago is not a valid argument to disregard his work. That is intellectually dishonest. Oh, because he's 200 years, he can't possibly do this. Bullshit. Next. I know. I hear that pretty often. Oh, he did his experiment in a shed. Oh, a yeah. shed. And I and I have a chat. Hang on. And I have the challenge for the chat, uh, Rex. If you can mute, because uh, there's a echo. Uh, I have a challenge for the chat. Can anyone name the fallacy that John Lebon just committed by saying that? And ten bucks to the person that can name that fallacy. Next, you did mention. Oh, oh, oh! Did you say they couldn't do the predictions before finding G? Not to the accuracy that we can do it now, John LeBon. I challenge you. I challenge you to find me any old school text before we found the value of G, before we found the equations of Newton, that we're able to predict to the accuracy, to the millisecond, that something is going to happen the way it does in reality. I, 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 I challenge you to find me a scale where we can predict an eclipse that's going to happen in the year 2444. Can you do that for me, John Laban? Oh, no, you can't. Do you want to know why? Because the people that you would be referencing for that didn't have the knowledge that we do now, which is the equations that we utilize to make these predictions in the first place. Oh, so good. Okay, so can I respond to some of that? 
Go ahead. I would love to hear All right, it. So there are a few things there. Firstly, Atheist Rex seemed to make the claim that we couldn't make these predictions. He said, what about the predictive power of our model? And I said, well, what about it? Who's, who's we who are, the, who are making the predictions? You can, and I'm sure all of you will agree, simply study the patterns of what we see in the sky and then make predictions based on those patterns. And it's amazing how accurate those predictions are. Now, if Reds is saying, oh, we've got far more accurate predictions now. We're, we're so much more accurate. Okay, well, I'm happy to look at any evidence that you have to prove that. I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy to inspect that that's fine. But at the moment, we can all agree that predictions were made before Big G was discovered. Now, in terms of these uh, uh, logical fallacies that Reds is talking about, this is what I'm saying. I'm not trying to change you guys' belief that some guy 200 years ago determined the mass of the moon or the earth or any other things in the sky. If you want to believe that, that's fine. I'm not presenting you an argument to stop you believing that. If you want to believe that, you're going to believe that. But the point that I make very often is that this kind of claim that there was a man 200 years ago who could point to the sky and say, we can determine how heavy that thing is based on this experiment that I've got in my shed, that's the kind of thing where if you read that in any other book, in a Catholic book or in a Muslim book or in a Jewish book, you'd say, well, that's a crazy religious fable. However, well, when it's taught to us in school as being a fact, people are like, oh, yeah, he was a great man. That man 200 years ago, he was a great man. He, he determined the mass of the moon up there in the sky, and we can look up to him. And do you care that's, for that's logic? If you, guys want to, if you guys want to believe want to that stuff, something. believe it. It doesn't make a difference to me if you guys believe that. That's fine, but I don't personally believe that. I'm not trying to stop you guys believing it. Believe whatever the hell you want, but I don't I, I want personally to believe it. I want to address one thing you said, John. You said that... Um, he determined the weight of the moon. Here's the thing. He determined the mass, not the weight. They are two separate things. And also, the, okay, so the mass of the, the moon. I think I've said the mass of the moon, and I think I've been using the term mass, but if, if I use the term weight, that's fine. Let's go with the term mass. Either way, you're, you guys believe that this guy Cavendish 200 years ago determined the mass of the Earth, John, the moon, anything this guy. And if you John, want to I believe, a, I have a legitimate question that. for you, though. I have a legitimate question for you, though. Do you honestly care if your logic is valid or not? Do you honestly care if your reasoning isn't fallacious, or do you just say, "Look, I don't care if it's fallacious. I don't care if it's absurd. I don't care if this is a backwards way of thinking. I'm going to believe it simply because I have a dogmatic belief in it." Well, this isn't about what I believe. This is about what I don't believe. I'm asking I'm what you care. You, if you want I'm to believe what you that, care. You can believe do you, but do you care if your logic is valid or not? Well, obviously, I care that my reasoning is valid. That makes perfect sense. But you haven't pointed out why my reasoning is valid. I've said that I don't believe what you believe. You can believe uh, it if you want. I'm not trying to change your mind. You're avoiding my question, though, okay? I understand that you don't believe in that you said it's perfectly okay if we do. Fine, fine, that's fine. But my question is of something totally different. Do you want your logic to be valid on anything that you believe? Well, I've just explained to you, Reds, obviously it's important to me that anything that I do believe in follows logic, reason, evidence, etc. But I'm not putting forward beliefs to you guys and trying to get you to adopt them. I'm saying the belief that you have, I used to, I no longer have it. So you can't point out any flaws in my reason or logic. I can. I'm not putting forward beliefs for you to accept. I can. We'll do it. John, do it. John, John, let me, let me t say something. John, let's say, let's say you, you uh, hacked into a, uh, a, a company that had some of the best cybersecurity known to mankind. Let's say you hacked into this, but you hacked into it when you were seven. Now, is it, is it right for me to say that there is 100% no chance in hell that you could hack into that being only seven years old? Could it also be the case that you're just a very brilliant seven-year-old that knew how to hack stuff? 
See, when you put a value on age like that, a non-important uh, bullet point, I should say, you end up fucking your logic over. Just because the kid is seven years old doesn't mean that he's incapable of hacking into a IT firm or whatever. By the same token, just because Cavendish did his experiments 200 years ago doesn't mean the experiments themselves, based on their own merits, is flawed. That's where your logic is messed up, John. Okay, well, I don't know anything about this. determined the uh, circumference of the Earth two th over 2,000 years ago. The dimensions, you know, are pretty accurate uh, uh, for the time. And you agree that to those dimensions today. So was he wrong just because it was over 2,000 years ago? That's All right, so just let, me respond, just let me respond to that one. With, with Cavendish, I'm saying that maybe a man 200 years ago was able, by the use of of his uh, rudimentary technology in his shed or garage, maybe he was able to determine the mass of the things in the sky. Maybe he was. I don't know that he wasn't. And so if other people want to believe that, I say go ahead and believe that. What I'm saying to you guys is I don't personally believe that. Same as when a book tells me that somebody gave birth, uh, a virgin gave birth to somebody, I say, well, maybe that happened. I don't believe it. Someone says that a guy walked on water, I say, maybe that happens. I don't believe it. But if others want to believe it, by all means, go ahead. It doesn't the difference between the birth of the the difference between the birth of Jesus and the value of Big G from Cavendish is one was verified and the other wasn't. The birth of baby Jesus was not verified. It was just passed down from Bible to Bible, and now we have the Westboro Baptist Church. How Yippee. can we verify uh, the mass of the moon in any other way on, than using the exact same on, method that you came up on, with a method in the first place? Hang on. When it comes to the value of Big G, we have verified that, and as time has gone on, it, the actual value of Big G has gotten more and more and more accurate. That's why we're able to determine it by 10 to the negative 11. That's why we're able to determine it. So, And with that value of Big G, we were able to make predictions that are so exact, so precise, that to, sh to show that would confirm the model, would confirm the number, would confirm the value. Not only would it confirm the value, it would also confirm the mathematics that Newton gave us to actually utilize that value. Okay, so a couple of things. Firstly, you're saying that uh, Big G, it's gotten more accurate, but you admit that it's still within 1% of what Cavendish said. So I think when I, when I hear people... Well, just hear me out. When, when I hear people say, oh, but we don't need Cavendish, we've got these other people, it's like, well, they're still within 1% of Cavendish, aren't they, which is very convenient. So yeah. if you want to try and sidestep Cavendish, that's fine. But by trying to sidestep him, can see that it does seem, when you take a step back, it does seem a little bit absurd that this guy 200 years ago could determine the mass of the moon. I think you guys do know deep down that that no. is a little bit absurd, and that's why you're saying, well, we don't need Cavendish. We've got these other people who are John, you know, John, the only reason I brought up the other people the only reason I brought up the other people was to show that because in science we have to reproduce things in order to verify them and in science that's exactly what we've done with Cavendish Cavendish is no uh, is not going to get a free ticket to oh here's fact land we actually have to put him through the same rigorous process as we do everything else the moment that we see that Cavendish was full of shit oh trust me we would call it out but the thing is, is that when we actually do the observation, when we do the experiments, when we do the measurements, we see Which that the value – when we see the value of Cavendish actually brought was actually pretty damn close. John LeBon, I'm, sure, I'm sorry. Hang on, hang on. John LeBon, I'm sorry 
he got it so right the first time. Is that really such a bad thing? Maybe it's just Which a case that Cavendish really knew his shit. No, like this, I get it. Like the scientific method, I think is fantastic, right? Like you should be able to make hypotheses, test the hypotheses. If they work out, then you might be able to start putting together a theory. Other people should be able to falsify your theory. I love all of that. That's fantastic. Can any of you guys explain to me how anybody could ever falsify the claim that the moon uh, has a certain mass? The only method you could possibly use, it seems to me, is the exact same method that was used to arrive at that number in the first place. Unless you guys can tell me of. Yes. Any other way that we can yes. verify the mass of the moon, please. Yes, you can send a rocket there and have it fly right past, not knowing what the fuck it was doing. Yep. And then? That's exactly what we did with the first Russian. Actually, the Russians tried to launch one, and it flew past the moon. They were actually trying to get into orbit around the moon, but that's because they didn't know the mass. Then they actually tried to utilize the actual mass of the moon and was like, okay, let's try this. Oh, look, it worked. Surprise, surprise. To literally nobody. So you can determine the mass of the moon by flying a rocket past it, is what you're telling me? Based on its, based on its pull, we have a trajectory of a rocket. Based on how much that, tra that trajectory is bent, it will, it will give us an indication on how much mass is actually acting on the rocket. Because in order to bend this trajectory by this much, we need this much mass or this much gravity. And this gravity is proportional to this much mass. See, the thing is, okay, is so that there go, is a direct... Let, There's let's a go direct story, right? connection let's between mass it. and gravity. Let, let's take your story on face value, all right? That you can determine the mass of the moon by flying a rocket past it. Okay, then. So can anyone on this panel or anyone listening to this Google Hangout right now around the Earth possibly try to verify this for themselves, or are we entirely reliant on organizations like NASA? Let me, let me answer that well, if I before can. Before we get sidetracked again, I still want to touch on the point that John keeps bringing up about how can he be accurate with 1%? Well, you agree that the world is round, whether it's geocentric or heliocentric, doesn't matter. Aristosthenes, with a stick, got very, very close to the actual diameter of the Earth. How long ago was that? Okay, so this Eratosthenes story, you're saying that that actually happened. You can probably imagine I'm going to say, actually... I'm not so sure that that Eratosthenes story is true either. Like, I mean, have you actually looked into the story of Eratosthenes or any of these other ancient Greeks? How far? I mean, do you think that we actually have any of their works still extant today? Uh, we can replicate their, their work. Yes, we do. And we also well, have no, their I mean, these characters. Uh, the Atheist Rex gentleman just gave me a story about Eratosthenes. This is a character, Eratosthenes. Have any of you guys spent the time trying to work out where the oldest books that we have about these people come from? I mean, people seem to think these guys from 2,000 years ago, they actually existed. Maybe they did, but what's your evidence? What's your documentation that these characters actually existed? I'd love to know. Well, they've been so, around. They have been spoken of for 2,000 years, and they were historians at the time. Spoken of by who for 2,000 years, Atheist Rex? By people throughout it's, history? It's so called, which, it's called the people? world give population. Me give me some names. I, hang on, I, I think I know exactly where this is going. I know exactly where this is going. Essentially, you're 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 basically going into the realm of hyper skepticism, where you're so skeptical you can't really believe anything. Is that where this no, is going? I, I can believe anything. Give me a book and I'll read the book, right? Give me some documentation yeah, the book of these characters someone, from ancient Greece. John, John, if the book is from someone in the past, then you're not going to believe it because you're not putting any value on the work people are doing in the past in the first place. That's been your entire bitch fit the entire time. Holy no, there's fuck. plenty of books that I believe. I've read plenty of books. I'm asking which books you guys have read that convinces you that Eratosthenes existed. Only P.P. Simmons can undermine his points more spectacularly than that. 
No, I'm asking you guys, what books have you read that convinced you that this Eratosthenes character existed? That's all I'm asking. It's a simple question. You want one? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get give you a link. Will you actually click on it and actually buy the book? Or look at I'd least the... I'd be more than happy to look at any links you can provide me, dude. I'm asking what books you've read that convinced you that Eratosthenes existed. So what? have you got an answer for me? Good. Yes, I do. And then I also have another question while I'm getting the link. If I give you this book... Just give me the book, name of the book. Why do you need a link? On, Just give me the name on, of the book. Hang on, did you read hang, on, it? hang on. If I give you the name of this book and you find out that it's from somebody in the past, are you going to reject it at face value like that, like you've done with everyone else's work in the past? Well, you, you keep making these accusations against me. Whose work from the past am I rejecting? I'm happy to take it on face value. Just tell me which books you've read on face I value see, that convince you that Red has existed. So, so it's it's a personal incredulity where it's a selective thing. You get to choose who you get to you, who you get to believe. Fuck the actual logic of your argument, and you get to dis, dis, dismiss all the rest. Pretty sweet deal, I might well, add. You keep I'll talking about book. me. I'm just asking you a simple question. Which books did you read that convinced you that Radisthenes existed? How old is the book? Getting you the link now, and it's a book from the early 1900s. Okay, so a book from the early 1900s, which is 2,000 years after Eratosthenes existed, convinced you that Eratosthenes existed 2,000 years which ago. Which is a compilation of older texts from that, yes, because they've actually done their homework. John Lebon, please present to me any evidence that the text, the mountain of text that this one book has, is actually false. Oh, wait, you can't. Well, I'm not trying to convince you that it's false. I'm just trying to work out what you're basing your beliefs on. And it sounds like from your testimony just now, you're telling me that a book that is 100 years old has convinced you that someone existed 2,000 years before then. Can you think of yeah. any parallels to maybe some other books that people don't believe that are 2,000 years old? I knew you, you, you would bring up the age as a bullet point. So again, I'm going to ask you, what about the age of said book would automatically dismiss its contents? I'm not dismissing its contents. I'm just trying yeah, to work you out are. what it is that you can yeah, base you your are. beliefs on. You've been doing it the entire time through this Hangout. Okay, so let me just respond with that interruption. You, I've said to you, you guys can believe whatever you want. What I'm interested in is just finding out why you believe those things. And it sounds like you believe that characters like Eratosthenes existed 2,000 years ago because of a book that's 100 years old. And if that's enough to convince you, fine. I'm not going to try and change your mind. I'm just trying to establish here, not just for my benefit, but for people listening, what it is that leads you guys to believing what you believe, and apparently because of the hordes, not believe that a man existed two thousand years ago. Because of the hordes of historians that have covered his work, people covered other people's work. There's a off the top of my head, uh, I think it's Cleomedes. He com he he compiled a lot of the works of the thinkers of just before his day, and he was nobody even knows when he lived, but he's about they would say around two hundred A.D. Mm, there's also a, a, a work called Eratosthenes uh, Cassostremi uh, from 1795 that actually covered the work of Eratosthenes and was actually able to look into the mathematics to find out exactly how the work was, uh, was, was done and how to validate it. Of course, the book is not in English, so that kind of hinders a couple things. But that, there was translated versions in 1885 actually went through the entire book, translated it word for word, and said, hey, look, if you do this, this is the result that you're going to get based on the text that we got from the ancients in that, in, in, in that era. Here's another thing, John. Whether or not he existed is kind of irrelevant because the experiment can be repeated and show similar results today. Mm. Correct. And, yeah, and, that, and that part I'm happy to that part I'm happy to agree with. Like I've already said to you guys that I think the best model for the Earth that we live on would be a big ball. Like I'm I'm happy to go with that at the moment. But well, I, you're there dismissing, is no you're dismissing a story that has lasted for two thousand years because you don't know if this guy exists or not. 
The fact is, the story has existed for 2,000 years. And it's well, that, that's still not a fact. There's, like, there's no documentation to prove that. Well, that's, that, that's not a fact. Actually, actually, there there is. Whether or not you want to accept it is a different story. But let's actually... You've, you've given me a book that's 200 years old. That's not even close to 2,000, dude. Come on. All right. which, which, has, which has documentation in it all the way up through the ages. Again, the people do their work. But let's also look at look at one big important part that you mentioned, what Sean just said, is that everything has been repeated. So what Cavendish said back you know, 200 years ago in his shed because he actually knew his shit and knew how to conduct an experiment, I mean, have you looked at the level of care he took in his experiment? It was pretty... It was pretty amazing, if I do say so myself, the level of care and the amount of precision he was able to get because he knew how to do the experiment. If that requires a shed, so fucking be it. Doesn't doesn't invalidate the result. And then throughout throughout the years, all the way to modern day, have we progressively refined the value? And yes, it's in within one percent. But in that case, I just gotta say sorry, he got it right the first time. Big fucking deal. He was right the first time. Accept it, and if you, if you're not going to accept the previous value, then accept the modern value based on even more advanced technology. Technology so advanced that'll probably blow your mind. Or do you have a problem with that as well? No, I've got no problem with that as well. Just a couple of things. So you keep saying that G gets more accurate. You keep saying we we get more accurate. We get more accurate. Well, I'm willing to bet that you haven't actually done anything to prove the value of G. Okay, you're just taking what you've been told. Okay, now that to I me see. is the opposite of what the scientific method is supposed to be about. I would have thought the scientific method about is actually trying to falsify things yourself rather than just agreeing with what you're told in a book, which seems more like a religion to me. Well, in terms I, of you know what, I I flew to Europe and I didn't build the airplane. I'm not saying I, I that it you can ride in an airplane. Though. You can ride in an airplane. You can see it for yourself. You know what I mean. You can you can sense it for yourself. You don't have to be, just be told. But anyway, as for Big G, I'm not saying that Cavendish did not work out Big G. I don't know what he did. If you guys believe that he worked out Big G and that from there he was able to work out the mass of the moon, that's fine. Again, I'm not trying to change your minds about that. However, it seems to me as though you could easily reverse engineer Big G simply from knowing little G, and we can all determine little G from ourselves. The higher we can go up. The further we can drop an apple or drop anything to the ground to measure how long it takes, we can determine little g for ourselves, and from there you can reverse engineer big G. Once you've got big G, you can convince everyone that this object in the sky weighs this amount, or has this mass, this other object has this mass, and they're all going to work together. They're all going to be consistent with one another because they all stem back from this big G value that you guys were given by a guy 200 years ago before the light bulb was invented. And if you want to believe that, that's fine. Can I ask you guys a question? Why is it such a big problem to you that I don't believe what you believe? Why is that such a big because, deal? Because the thing is, is that I, I have a problem with people believing flawed ideas based on flawed logic such as your own. Basically because I can go to this website right now and actually buy a torsion balance and actually do the experiment myself. Oh, $1,174. Well, hey, based on some of the uh, Patreon accounts that a bunch of flat earthers have been getting, I don't see that as too out of people's reach. In fact, I'll actually buy it for somebody if they're willing to do the experiment, if they're actually going to be honest about it. So you have to tell me that this big gigantic conspiracy is going around to basically fake the value of Big G, but yeah, I'm going to give you a tool and equipment needed with spheres needed to actually do the experiment yourself so that you can verify it yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense right now. I don't like people who have flawed logic, John. That is my biggest beef with that with everyone. And we as a society are becoming more susceptible to conspiracy theories rather than actual facts. This is despite the fact that of the people who have actually lost their mind, they can actually profit off the gullibility of our population. And I want to see our population rise above this, John. I want to see you 
grow and progress and become you know more informed about the way the universe act actually works but what based on what you're telling me it seems like that's an impossibility because you will not accept anything because it's 200 years old or some guy did it in a shed or I don't care what what you what you say about your mathematics I don't believe it because because I just don't fuck the the whether the logic is actually logical or not well, it's not just the 200 years, Reds. You could get Stephen Hawking and uh, Dawkins and Neil deGrasse Tyson and the best astrophysicists from the best universities together today in a thing. shed. Just hear me out here. You could get all of them together today, uh, not just in a shed, but in a big scientific lab with no electricity, and they could do whatever they want. And if they could tell me that with their rudimentary pre-electricity devices that the greatest minds today could determine the mass of the objects in the sky... I still would think that that was outrageous, and I wouldn't believe it. I just wouldn't accept it. Now, if you guys would, again, that's fine. If you think that anyone can determine the mass of the objects in the sky without electricity 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago today, believe it. But I'm not going to believe it. John, electricity. John does, does a torus imbalance need electricity, John? A torus imbalance doesn't need electricity. Why, 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 is, why is electricity all of a sudden the tipping point, John? You're saying it needs to have factors it doesn't actually need to do the experiment. If I'm testing to see how fast a ball rolls downhill, why the fuck would I need electricity? Damn, Magellan sailed around the world without gasoline. Oh, how the hell did he do that? Well, you want to know something? Columbus is, is, is you know, full of shit at that point because he didn't have the mercury on board engine. Unfucking believable. You guys John. can actually see North America for yourselves, right? Whereas the mass of the moon, we can't determine any other way. Unless we have rockets, even by your own testimony, we'd need rockets, which none of us have. So apparently, all that we have to verify the mass of the moon is that Cavendish uh, gravitational balance that you right, there on the screen. Right, you know and what? you know, and we, you know we, what? We I would chip in if you start a Kickstarter for that. I would chip in twenty dollars for your Kickstarter. This is no word of a lie. You start a Kickstarter trying to make enough money to buy that gravitational thing that you just put on the screen, you'll see, as soon as you put the Kickstarter up, $20 uh, chimed in from JLB. I'll, ch I'll chuck in 20 bucks. Let's let's see you guys buy that experiment and then use it to verify the mass of the moon. I'd love to see it. you got 20 Why bucks. Why don't you buy it for yourself? Because, because here, here's the thing. Because I don't though. accept the idea that you can use uh, that device which, which to measure the mass of the moon. accept the value God, that God, we have. To be really polite with you here, can't you see how absurd... To people like me, I'm right now talking to religious zealots. You're defending weight, determining the mass of the moon with that object on the screen. Do you not yeah, see, realize how ridiculous based on actual you sound science. right now? Based on actual science, what you're saying is that it is so crazy for you to think that you can use scales that you can use something as silly as scales to determine torsion, that you can use something as silly as scales to make measurements. John, we use scales all the time. They are a valuable part of the scientific method, and if you claim to like the scientific method, then you had better get used to liking them scales because them scales are how we figured shit out, John. Well, dude, we can use scales. We can use scales to determine that we just got 14 grams from a sale, right? And then we can use another pair of scales to weigh that same herb. Whereas you guys are trying to claim you can use those scales to weigh an object in the sky that you've never been to and will never go to, and then have to trust another group of people who claim that they've gone there and they give you ridiculous video footage. Like to uh, me, this, I feel right now like I'm talking to 
religious dogmatists. It's embarrassing, to be honest, because you guys John, seem like the a only one people. with the with This the is embarrassing, dogma. man. John, John, believe me, it's embarrassing, at least for you, because the only religious zealot here is you. It is of what the religious religion? opinion. All right, listen, it is of the religious opinion that just because something is 200 years old and quote unquote in a shed, that you should therefore dismiss the actual logic behind the actual experiment and the results that came from it. It's also of the religious zealot opinion that when you find one value that you can't use, that to find another value, even for something as massive of the moon, the earth, or the sun, based on mathematics that have proven themselves to be accurate based on the observations we have made, the predictions that we have made, and the current spacecrafts that are orbiting above your head, John. It is of the religious opinion and the religious mindset to think that a flawed logic can point you in the direction of truth. I, for one, am fucking shocked. And with that, I'm actually going to go to work and make some money. Guys, have fun. This has been Red. Have fun, yeah, Red. See, Reds has the habit of doing this when he's challenged to just keep repeating what he says, okay, and then leave the conversation. But I'm telling you guys you right have now. another I'm one? Be my guest, and... John. John, you I'm, want to I'm have another to one? And be my this. guest. John, if you want to have Red's another does. one, be my guest. Because I tell you what, if you want to have if you want to have another conversation, a one on one. Because I'm not running away. I actually have I have work to do. Some people have a job, and those jobs are at night and on the weekends. So if you want to have another conversation with me, I'll be more than happy to have a conversation with you, whether it's on your channel, my channel, or another channel. I am not running away from this. Don't try to make that straw man. Peace out, guys. Oh, fallacy after right, fallacy. So we'll that, but just, just now wait a second. We got away from we got guys. away from the original topic. We started going off on the moon, and we I were just trying, have to make we one trying, point in response we were, to Red's theory, though. I have to just make one point. I keep talking about two hundred years ago. Get back to what you think the moon is, because this I gotta hear. Yeah, okay. So just going back to what Red was saying, he keeps talking about two hundred years ago. Yes, to me, the fact that it was two hundred years ago makes it even more comical. But I'm telling you right now, you could do this today with that rudimentary contraption. Anybody today, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Red's Rhetoric, now anyone, right now, anyone now can do it today. Yourself. It is still utterly ridiculous to me that any full-grown adult could possibly believe you could determine the mass of the moon with that contraption. It is it is laughable. It's absurd. It's even All crazy right. than some okay. of the crap that Kat okay. say. Hey, JLB, and those people are crazy. Shut up. Listen. Now, let's see what this rational adult, you I mean, thinks the moon actually is. Go. I don't know what the Hold moon on. is. I want to just John's point real quick. John, the Cavendish experiment doesn't weigh the moon. It shows the gravitational pull of the Earth. Because of the orbit distance and speed of the moon, we can then get its mass. The Cavendish well, that's experiment different to what Red was saying an hour ago, wasn't it? That's different to what Red said. I said to Red, haven't you determined the mass of the moon by using the Earth as like a foundational point for your calculations? He said no. He said you, he said you cannot use the Earth. You can just use the, the, the big G to determine the moon's mass without the Earth. And then I said, but hold on, if F equals G, M1, M2 over R squared, wouldn't you need the mass of the Earth to determine that force? And then he said, no. So you guys are going to have to work out your own story here. Do you need to know the mass of the Earth to know the mass of the moon? Because Reds was saying that you don't. Just a moment ago in this very Which conversation. I just said, with the Cavendish experiment, it shows the gravitational pull of the Earth, which gives you the mass of the Earth. Yes, yeah, so was Red correct or are you correct? Do you need to know the mass of the Earth to determine the mass of the Moon? Knowing the mass of the Earth because of the Cavendish experiment, you can then find out, knowing the speed and distance of the Moon, how much its mass is. 
the Cavendish See, that's what I thought the story itself was. does that's not weigh was, but... the moon. That's what I thought the story was, but then Red tried to suggest otherwise, so I'm Look, not really... Hey, is this thing on? Look, okay, can we just accept that Red might have been wrong? I wasn't here for the whole thing, so let's just say Red was wrong about that, and then let's move on. Yeah, let's just accept that Red's, the little hero of this scene on YouTube, doesn't even know his own story about whether we can determine the mass of the moon with or without the mass of the Earth. Let's just move on. That's just a little side point that we should ignore, because he's on our side, right? Well, does the moon have mass at all? I don't know. I don't even know if it's a solid physical object, dude. Really? What causes the tides, then? Well, that's a good question, because in some parts of the Earth, there's one tide a day, in other parts, there's two. So if it's the moon that's responsible yeah, for that... Yeah, we know all about that. And we've correlated the phenomena with the moon long ago. Now, what, what, what causes the tides? I don't know what causes the tides. Again, if I did, I have an explanation for why we have one tide in some parts of the Earth and two in the other. Can you explain that? It can be explained. Are you saying it can't be explained? Can you explain Are you saying that people who have, like, one tide go, gee, I don't know what the fuck is going on? Is that what you're thinking? No, I'm asking, like, you asked me, can I explain the tides? I said, no, I can't. Now I'm asking you. You say that you can explain it, so please explain to me why no, some I parts of the earth have two and some have one. I don't give five flying fucks about the tide. I know that there you're are... You're the one who brought it up, mate, so why would you bring it up if you don't care? And you, and you don't know that there's a moon. What is it? What well, is I know it there's a moon. We can see it at night time. I just don't know if it's a solid physical object. Well, and during the day... Not just during the night. I yeah, that. I mean, what does what does light shine on if it's not solid and physical? But you're the one assuming that it's light shining on the moon. I don't know if that's the case. Well, uh, other shadows. That's lighting the moon. I'm gonna I'm gonna push the pause button right there. There's only one kind of light that we've ever observed. One kind of light that has a certain behavior. Why should we assume that something's different? I'm not asking you to assume anything. It's you guys who have a problem with me not believing what you believe. You can believe whatever you want. Yeah, okay. when you speak in that language, you're not a guru. Trust me, we're not going to believe you just on your say-so. So don't you use that guru language on your own channel. You, you, John, you, you make the point that you don't know what's causing the light on the moon. What is causing the shadows in the craters that Red showed you? Again, I don't pretend to know what the moon is right now. He was saying that he can use those images as proof. Like, he was claiming that his images of the moon were proof that the moon was a solid physical object. If you believe that you can use images, pixels on a screen, to prove that something else is a solid physical object, well, let me show you a game of ice hockey that's taking place in my lounge room right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's images on a screen. It's not proof of a solid physical object behind the pixels. Those are just images, my friend. They're not proof of a solid physical object. They're images of a solid object. Even if it's on your screen, it's of a solid object. That's the point. And any Kmart telescope can get you those same images. You personally. Why are you so afraid to look? Bro, I've got a Canon, what is this, an S60. I've got a, I haven't got the Nikon P90. I've got the one that's below it, like 65 times zoom. I've zoomed in on the moon. It's an amazing thing, dude. And I can see why you guys, if you're happy to take the images of the moon as proof of a solid physical object, I can see why you would uh, believe that. I'm not trying to take oh, that so, away from you. I'm just saying that it's not enough for me to believe it. That's you've, what zoomed, you've zoomed in on the moon. You've made no conclusions on, for your own self. Well, the conclusion I've made is that when the moon is full, it doesn't look like a solid ball having light. It doesn't look at all like any other ball I've seen with light being shined upon it. It's bright like a big dish. When it's full, than when it's a half moon or a crescent moon. Well, you're you're asking you're asking me what do I see when I see the moon? Well, take a full moon for instance. That looks like a big. I can't. I cannot head desk anymore. What I see is a moron. 
wait. Well, you can resort to name calling if you like, yeah, but what I'm telling you is that when I look at the movie, sorry, not name calling, fact. Guys, Again, wait, so you second. can resort to that. You ask me what I see when I see the moon. A full moon doesn't look to me at all like a ball having light shine upon it. It looks like a giant dish that's equally illuminated right across the dish. That's what it looks like to me. That doesn't mean that's great. what it is. Great. That's what does what it look like, like when it's a half moon? What does a Terminator line look like? So when I look at the moon, when it's a half moon, it looks like a half illuminated dish. It doesn't look like a ball to me, but that's just how it looks to me. What it looks like to me doesn't mean that's what it is. You just asked me what it looks like. I gave you my answer. Hold, hold on one second. Sorry. I'm, I came into this discussion a little late. I, what, what is the, So you're not a flat earther. So no. Uh, you say – I heard someone say – you say heliocentrist? He's a geocentrist. Okay. Well, you Got can call it. me a sorry, geocentrist if you want. I just wanted to get caught up. But you like you can call me a geocentrist if you want. But all, like I said to these guys uh, earlier, I said to them, look, uh, the map is not the terrain. Okay, I can give you a map of Texas. It's just a map. Okay, I think the best map or the best model for the phenomenon that I believe that we can observe with our own eyes, test empirically, that a, a ball model does best fit that. But it's just a model. Doesn't mean that we live on a ball. We might. I don't know. But the best model is a ball. Okay. These guys take it much further and they say that that ball is spinning on its own axis orbiting around the sun, hurtling around the, the galaxy and the universe and all this other stuff, they, they, their version of where we live is very different to me. It's their overall cosmological view that I find laughably ridiculous. Okay. Um, John, you said that you were led to the belief that geocentrism is correct, but you've never said anything about what actually caused that belief. Well, again, you guys are the ones calling it geocentrism. Like, uh, I, I don't personally use that kind of term. Like you asked me where I think we live and I gave you my... Now if you want to call it geocentrism, that's fine. Again, up until uh, early 2015, I believed in heliocentrism, but I never really looked into it, okay? I just took what I was told at school. I took physics and you know chemistry. What? You I haven't school. looked into it yet. I think I know it better than you guys do. I mean, you guys still can't tell me if we need the mass of the Earth to determine the mass of the Moon or not. <laughs> and you still haven't explained retrograde orbits. <laughs> You haven't explained transits. I've got heliocentrists telling me that I haven't looked into it. I know their own model better than they do. Guys, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing for you guys. It really is. Wait, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, so you don't believe the Earth is spinning? No. So you believe the rest of the entire universe is spinning around us? Well, I don't believe in the universe the way that you do. You, you believe no, no, there's I'm actually solid you, physical objects out there. Dude, he doesn't know what the fucking moon is. Wait, let me. I'm just asking you what you think. Okay, so we can see lights in the night sky. Okay, let's call them the heavens for the sake of argument. To me, they're just lights. Okay, they could be more than that, but all I can know is that they. I can see light. That's what my eyes are seeing. I can't touch them. I can't feel them. They're just lights. Now, when you use the term universe, that means something very different to you to what it means to me. To you, you actually believe that there's this infinite expanse of space out there populated by millions, billions, trillions, quadrillions, whatever number they give you, you believe of these solid physical objects out there in this place that you call the universe. Whereas to me, when I look up at the night sky, I'm just seeing lights. I'm not convinced that there's this infinite expanse of space populated by an untold number of solid physical objects. So when you say, is the universe going around us? Well, not your universe. However, the night sky, I believe, is going around us, or at least based on my senses, that seems the best explanation. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. What uh, now? So it's obviously much closer in your worldview. 
whatever, whatever, the, whatever this canopy of lights in the night sky is. Must be pretty nearby to go around us at such a rate. Well, if it were a solid physical object, then there'd be a distance between us and it. But again, I'm not sure that these lights are coming to us from a solid physical object, you see? Uh, how do, what else can emanate light? Well, that's what I'm saying, up there. I don't know what it is up there, okay? We're seeing light, but I don't know what it is. Well, with a decent telescope, you can identify at least, you know, seven of those lights. Sure, you can look at uh, objects that you think are solid physical objects, and you can say, yep, that's a, that has a pattern that we can sort of identify in our minds, right? However, one of the big things that got me questioning all of this was the first time that I did look through a proper zoom lens onto... Uh, Saturn, and I could see the rings, and it was really cool, like this big bright thing, but it didn't look anything like the pictures that I had come to take for granted as being Saturn. It just looked to me kind of like a star, like a big white light with rings. Now, it's still cool. It's still a really cool thing, and I think the idea of sort of ast astronomy and astrophotography, it's really cool, but it blew my mind that when I went out to this astronomer's club, this is when I was looking into the flat earth theory, I was like, well, I'm going to go to an astronomer's club. This is going to be pretty easy. Went out to this astronomers club in Brisbane. They were a whole bunch of nice people. I didn't tell them that I was there because I was trying to see if these flat earthers had any legitimacy to their claims. Didn't get into any of that. Looked through the biggest telescope that any of these dudes had, and it was cool. There was it wasn't just Saturn. There was a couple of other planets that were visible at the time. It was really cool. But what blew me away was Saturn was just a big white light with rings. It wasn't anything like the images I'd been given growing up. And then people like me, our natural next question is. Well, how come they were giving me all of those images? Like, why you do realize you were looking through the atmosphere, right? That yeah, you guys, you, guys think, you guys actually believe there's this place beyond the atmosphere that just sits there and we can take photos with it of the entire universe, well, right? You actually there, believe all this stuff. So does that count? Sorry? I didn't get the question. You know it's there because we've been there. You've been to the Hubble? Telescope. Okay. Yeah, you know what? People have been to the Hubble telescope. They had to repair it. Oh, really? And uh, these people, you uh, you just trust them? Uh, I, a hell of a lot more than I trust you, your intellect. But I don't want you to trust me. I'm asking you why you believe this stuff. Oh, you've I got don't people trust telling them. you that they can float around. You've got you've actually got people why telling you. Why wouldn't I trust them? Why, how is it physically impossible to do float this? Around. How is it scientifically, technologically, or otherwise impossible for this to be, to happen? For what to happen? What are you talking about? For for astronauts to service the Hubble Space Telescope. Well, what, that's what I'm asking what you. Why do you actually believe that? Them? Because there's like nothing I know that to stop given, them. Because there's like nothing to stop been, them. Okay, because I know that you've been given these video images of people floating around. Uh, you, know what? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go start drinking. I just can't head desk any longer. Good night, everybody. Yeah, well, another one bites the dust. So can you see what I'm saying here, guys? Yeah, the thing is, you, just, you really yeah, wear people out with your exasperating stupidity. Okay, so more name-calling, right? So you've been given these images of these people floating around in this magical place called space, and you just accept that that's real, even though none of you have ever been there, none of you will ever go there. They give you these images. Now, you guys know they well, can I'm fake hopeful. very easily, right? They've been faking images of people floating around for more than 50 years, but they yeah, give you um, guys these images, and you believe they're real. Why do you believe this stuff? Well, we can see it as well from Earth. What exactly. Yeah, I've seen. I will. I will personally testify to seeing Soyuz following the International Space Station with a tracking feature on my telescope. Sure, um, you can see this thing up there that looks like seen, the ISS. John, we can actually see people in there floating around. So wait, what are you saying? 
So you can see something up there in the sky that looks like the ISS, right? I'm happy to go with that. Let's take it on okay. face value. It doesn't mean that there's people inside there floating around magically. Okay, well, floating around. Okay, you do realize they're in... Well, according to the model that they're giving us, they're in free fall, so that wouldn't necessarily be magical. I think you might be thinking, John, that there's some sort of, like, magical line that you cross, you, you know, in where you get out of the Earth's atmosphere and you're just in weightlessness. That's not the case at all. You know, uh, up, up at the, you know, if, if you use Red's equation uh, to determine the, um, uh, you know, uh, the gravitational strength at a distance, it's still about 90% at 250 miles. Uh, it's just that they're in free fall. Yeah, and they can give you any stories they like about free fall and the event horizon and all of this stuff. They're just stories. The point is they've got you believing that there's a magical place where you can just right. float around. Like, don't, don't you guys find, if you just take a step back, don't you find it fascinating that they've convinced hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of humans around the world that there's this place you can go to, or well, you can't go, but they can, where they can just Again, float around. Like I said, and I'm the hopeful. proof that they give you is images on a screen, and you guys are smart enough to know that images on screens can be fake. That's what movies are all about. So the best evidence they give you is stuff you know they can fake. They're telling you a magical story, and yet you believe it anyway, and you've never questioned it. Why is that? Well, I mean, we have no reason not to. We have massive uh, companies. The evidence is like very Facebook, compelling. Origin, Lockheed Martin, Boeing. We have all of those private entities who are making money off of sending things to this so-called magical place. So if there's a huge business around it now. I mean, this isn't this isn't like 50 years ago where it's just the Soviet government, the United States government that was partaking in space exploration. We now have hundreds of private companies who are, you know, subcontractors, suppliers to all of this business around space. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say that they are actually doing it. Yeah, and Catholicism is a multi-billion-dollar business. Doesn't mean that anything that they say is true. Can you imagine a group of people we walking around with books? Can you imagine? Just hear me well, out well, here. No, can I mean, you imagine? John, John, can you imagine a group of people walking around with argument. books, walking around with books, convincing other humans that they can use little devices that can determine the mass of the moon, that they can put people in these magic devices where they can go to a place where they can just float around, and they were convincing these people all of these things. You'd say, that's one pretty fucking weird religion. However, well, when they do it to you from school, and when they're doing it to everybody, oh, it's not a religion anymore, it's science. Oh, these people are scientists. They can determine separate? the mass of the moon. They can determine the mass of Jupiter. North they can put humans on ships and go and float around endlessly. Oh, these, these people are very smart people, and we've got these, these, got these great wise men. This great man 400 years ago determined this thing called gravity. Oh, gra it's, it's ridiculous, guys. It's utterly absurd. John, just to point out the straw man that you just made, you again said you can use this little device to determine the mass of the moon. Again, the Cavendish experiment does not determine the mass of the moon by itself. Oh, that's right. We can use this little uh, device to determine the mass of Earth. That's much more reasonable. Yeah, you know this Earth that you're standing on? We can determine it. We've never been more than eight miles down. We've never been more than eight miles down through the Earth's crust, but we can tell you to within how much accuracy? To within 1% accuracy with this device exactly how much the Earth, what its mass is. If you no. hadn't been trained to believe that, there's no way you'd believe it. Just it's made. ridiculous. Compared What's to the, the measurements we here? have now, Cavendish was within 1% of what we have with our current technology. Okay, so you agree that with that little Cavendish device that uh, Reds was showing us on screen, $1,200 US if you don't mind, which I've already given you 20 bucks towards, I've promised that right now live on the air, you do believe that it's within 
to within 1%, you can determine the mass of the Earth, don't you? Um, yes, if I follow the equations properly, yes. Yeah, there you go. Well, we're just little, this little device doesn't even use electricity. We can determine the mass of the entire Earth. Why does yeah. anything hinge on it having electricity? With electricity, without electricity, a little device telling you the mass of the entire Earth, and you guys are going to sit here and defend this. No, 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 no. Specifically, why does it hinge on having electricity? And you, okay, so you guys all agree. That? You all agree that based on your belief system, you need to accept that that device can determine the mass of the Earth within one percent. We all agree. We don't that. need to. There's no need to. Well, well, what are you going to do? Are you guys going to uh, criticize or reject the Cavendish experiment? Because if you do, there goes the entire heliocentric uh, cosmology, doesn't it? So you have to defend well, it. No, if, if, it's if not a very position to be. It's not the entire basis for our entire understanding of how our solar system works. Oh, really? You must have missed the first part of this show where I was being told the exact opposite. Even it doesn't. Even if we didn't know the mass of the Earth, that wouldn't in no way change the rest of the stuff we've learned. Uh, actually, that's exactly what it would do, my friend. And and most of your other panel members, if they were being honest, they'd they'd correct you right now. But they can't because you guys have to show solidarity to one another because you've got this threat, this JLB threat. He doesn't believe what we believe, so we've got to provide a united front. But your other panel members will tell you, yes, you do need the mass of the Earth for your entire cosmology. And the mass of the Earth goes back to Cavendish, and oh, we've got more accurate since then, but only by one percent. And you need the mass of the Earth to determine the mass of all of the other so-called planets. And you need to know the masses of the planets to reject the geocentric model because, hey, how can you have a geocentric model if planets are getting further away and closer again? The Earth's, the Earth's uh, mass would have to be changing. That's absurd. We're going to reject it. But where do the masses of those planets come from? The mass of the Earth from Cavendish 200 years ago. As soon as you reject Cavendish, the whole cosmology disappears, and that's why you've got to defend it. That's why I've got grown men right now trying to tell me they actually believe they can weigh, that they can determine the mass of the entire Earth with that rudimentary device. That's why this is happening right now because okay, it's central after, to everything that you guys believe. Say something to the whole panel. No, atheist Rex didn't get booted. He left. May I say something to the whole panel, Sean? Okay. Good. Uh, yeah, it seems like we're good. You know, I could think, I could almost think of John's objection to you know many of these staples of astronomy and physics, almost as a Let's see, you, you can almost, how, how would I put this? You can almost equate that to being, um, you know, uh, a, a compliment to it. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll tell you exactly why. Because somebody thinks it's so amazing that it can't be believed, then that just shows that it's an indirect, indirect means of compliment to the actual process itself. Or I, don't, I, I don't know. That's kind of hard to explain, but I'll leave it at that. Well, he I mean, he is essentially just saying, I don't understand how, therefore it's invalid. So, Yeah, also, also I mean, what about, what about all these other processes, John? I mean, what, what happens when we actually have to use the concept of gravity caused by mass to help us try to find things like the oil industry actually does minute measurements of masses to determine differences in gravity? When there's less apparent gravity over a ring, what they can determine is that there are actually uh, there are actually areas where oil could be um, where you know oil could be centered, you know, because you basically you have crevices and cracks in the Earth's crust that allows oil to pocket. 
So we actually have to use this stuff. It's not like it's just some sort of invented story that's been given to us and it's a script we've all read and accepted. No. This is practical stuff that has to be used to make accurate measurements and to find things. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, John, when I was talking to you on your, uh, on your Hangout, I, I, I didn't really believe still a lot of the things you were saying. I just kind of went along with it uh, because I didn't want to cause unnecessary tension in the Hangout. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to go and um, plug my computer into a, a socket, so I missed the last few minutes. What's the like, the last okay. two minutes? What's the gist of what you said? I do apologize. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll summarize it again. Basically, what I was saying is, we're we're talking about a lot of concepts that actually have to be used, uh, you know, practically to find certain things or to predict certain things. So I'll give you the example with gravity. We have this assumption that gravity is caused is. Uh, an inherent property of a massive object, that it's caused by mass. Well, uh, people in the oil industry actually have to measure minute changes in Earth's gravitational field to determine, uh, you know, if, if there's going to be any shale oil under the ocean floor. See, because if you have a ton of cracks, you know, in the Earth's crust directly below you, that's going to affect the amount of gravity that's being uh, put on you. They actually, they have these measurements to determine if there's a likelihood of oil being under their location. So, it, I mean, it's not like this is just some script that we've all been given and, you know, accept blindly. It's, it's, it's stuff that has to be practically used in industry. Uh, that, that's just for gravity. I could, I could explain many other, you know, concepts that are similar. Also, also before that, and I hate, to keep, I hate to keep talking like this, before that, I want to also ask John about spectroscopy and if he's ever heard of it. Because if you actually do, uh, you know, anybody, you don't have to learn, uh, leave the surface of the Earth to use spectral lines to determine what the moon is likely made out of. You know, you have iron, silicone, and, um, and you know, calcium. Uh, you, you can determine a mixture of that from spectral lines taken of the moon from a telescope with the capability of spectroscopy. And so, okay, you know, so you've just, given, you've just given me a whole bunch of claims, and it sounds like your gist is, well, you know, JLB, you're rejecting this stuff because you don't believe where it came from, but we, we need this stuff, and we can prove it by other things like spectroscopy or by, you know, um, commercial companies using gravity or what have you. That's fine. Just give me some examples. Like, just give me examples of where your cosmological model is needed or proved some other way. Like, I'm happy to listen. Okay, cool. Yeah, I could, I could go fetch you some. Let's see. I, I, I could go fetch you some, do uh, some documents about that from the oil industry. Oh, I'd love that. Like, send it through to me. I'm happy to look at it, guys. Like, that's the thing. I think people have this idea. And it, look, it's it's mass, It's largely my own fault, right? Because I did that Baller Skeptic Roundtable where we had like 10 different flat earthers on the show during the season. And so a lot of people assume that I'm one of these flat earthers trying to convince other people they should believe the earth is flat. But I'm not that. I never was that. And I think if more people just took a step back, took a deep breath, looked at what I'm actually saying, I'm saying you guys can believe whatever you want. The flat earthers can believe whatever they want, okay? I've put out more than 30 videos critiquing, mocking, and debunking flat earth claims. However, if after all of those videos, they still want to believe the earth is flat, I say let them. You know what I mean? That's, that's fine. Whatever. It, it doesn't actually affect my life, what you guys believe, and it shouldn't affect your life, what I believe. I don't understand what the big deal is here. Okay, so John, um, I'm bringing up to you right now an article that basically, I, it's kind of used as a manual for people in the industry. Uh, they're both gravitational and magnetic methods for surveying what's under the ground. 
and if there's a likelihood of there being oil pockets, you, you can't actually tell if there are going to be oil pockets based on, you know, uh, based on these methods, but if the amount of apparent gravity you're measuring is smaller, and you know, you, you know, we're, we're talk we're talking about, you know, to, uh, you know, like a, if you if you were to make a measurement of gravity to like the ten thousandth place, uh, you know, of 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 a of a, a decimal point of one g, but still, uh, you know, it it can tell you whether or not there's a likelihood of there being oil. It can't tell you if there's going to be oil. I should specify that. It's kind of interesting, though. I'll post it in the uh, I'll post it in the chat so that John could have a look at some point. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be happy to take a look at it, mate. Like, that's, okay, that's what sure, I'm saying. I'm happy go. to look at this stuff. Why not? So, yeah, uh, I believe it's up right now. Um, okay, so I, I guess I could maybe add some stuff backing up the whole thing, uh, basically what I had said about spectroscopy. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, John, uh, I'm... I'm I'm curious about I, I wanted to know what you're going to think about something that'll probably end up happening soon in the world, uh, and I I was just curious about it. I've noticed recently, uh, especially uh, you know in in the past maybe five to ten years, that there's been a absolutely massive uptick in the amount of private uh, and commercial space uh, you know uh, the, the in the amount of private and commercial space industry, and it's exponentially accelerating. I mean, now you have Elon Musk talking about, uh, talk, saying at Code Conference that he's looking at building a vehicle larger than the Falcon Heavy that would be able to send humans to orbit Mars by 2024. Now, with this acceleration happening, uh, wouldn't you expect the exact opposite if this was all faked? Wouldn't you expect, you know, them to, or them, I'm using the, the, the nameless, faceless they, wouldn't you expect them to be, uh, you know, slowly tailoring off activity in space, if if it was all fake. Well, I'm I'm not sure who them is, but if people are making money off a story, then they're going to make money off a story. So if you can make twenty billion dollars a year uh, off telling people that you're going into space and you can get away with it, well, then good luck to you. You've just made twenty billion dollars. How much money is Elon Musk uh, making? Where's his money coming from? I don't pretend to know. But they haven't made any money from actually putting people into space, have they? Which should be a big red flag. No, no. Uh, basically, having independent companies tell them to build a satellite, uh, and then so basically they'll end up, you know, having various contractors work on that satellite, and then they'll launch the payload for a fixed price. So for SpaceX, it's about sixty-two million dollars. They're actually pumping that down to about thirty because of the reusability capability that they've introduced. Okay, um, so people, in your mind, people are using these satellites to communicate around the world. Do you think that people needed satellites to communicate around the world, or do you think people were doing that before satellites? Well, I mean, people were doing that before satellites. I mean, hell, we had a, a um, we had a transatlantic cable, uh, you know, in the nineteen in the latter half of the nineteenth century. But um, you know, personally, the reason, the reason I ask this question is because right now you and I are talking to each other with practically no latency. I'm here in Brisbane. I understand that you're there in the United States somewhere. Other yeah. people on the panel are probably in your part of the world as well. We're speaking with no latency, right? Now, how my data is getting to to the server to you and and back and forth. I don't pretend to know. It could be via satellite. It could be via cables. It could be via terrestrial radio. The point well, is, I mean, we. So if I pay you, if I pay you to facilitate for me communication with people around the world, if I pay to do that, and you tell me you're doing it with satellites and you do it another way, how the hell do I know the difference? So if you can convince me to give you money for a satellite and you provide the data transfer that I was paying for originally, hey, you've just made your money, haven't you? Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, well, that that, that is true. Um, now, seeing as we are all communicating probably through an uh, through an internet server, I would think that uh, Google Hangouts here would be done through undersea cables. But um, you know, there are there are GPS devices that you can buy for you know people uh, people who are hunters, people who go out into the wilderness. Like I heard about a a guy in northern Alberta and Canada recently who had to use one, where basically you know there there are no towers of any kind you know, for tens, maybe hundreds of miles. And so they actually, and we all here agree that the Earth is curved, and that's the thing that's actually blocking those signals. Uh, so we all agree with, with that, and I don't think anybody's objecting to that. So you're in a place where there's no other way you can get, you know, uh, uh, you can get your call for help out. But here comes along these GPS satellite devices and where you can ping up to a geostationary satellite above your continent, and it will send a distress call. Um, I couldn't see how without satellites that would be possible. Sure. I mean, if you can prove to me that people are sending data up above them to some object that's just floating up there, I'd be happy to look at that evidence. But in the meantime, we know that you can triangulate positions just with terrestrial towers. Very easy. You could do it well before anyone was talking about putting these objects up in the sky to float there. So we can triangulate positions already. You don't need satellites to do that. And arguably, it's much easier using terrestrial-based radio networks that just sit there on the ground than putting something up into space. I mean, even if you actually believe they can put these things up there, they just float there forever, fine. But you have to accept that it'd be very expensive to do that, a lot of risk involved in that, and uh, very little redundancy because once that thing goes down, you're stuffed, aren't you? You've got to put another one up there. Whereas with the terrestrial-based uh, towers, you put the tower there. If there's a problem, send a man to the tower. He fixes what's on the tower. And it'd make way more sense to do things with terrestrial-based technology than with satellite technology, even if the satellites existed, wouldn't it? Okay. okay um, wait. Uh, okay, Sean. Just just before uh, everybody continues, there's one more thing I was a little bit confused on that I just want to get cleared up. So I know that John uh, believes that the, the most likely explanation for the shape of the Earth is a sphere, and you know I'm I'm not disputing that. I don't think anybody here is. But okay, so now that you believe that, John, are you saying that it's impossible to orbit that sphere? So are you asserting that an orbit around the Earth is impossible? No, I'm not asserting that uh, the orbiting of the Earth is impossible. What I'm asking is why I should believe that there are objects up there doing that right now. And if we're being honest, most people's answer is going to be one of two things, either an appeal to authority, hey, the government or NASA, or uh, it'll be the use of evidence like video footage. Now, any sensible person knows that video footage can and is manipula can be and is manipulated all the time. Like, you can go back decades and decades uh, what was it 19, the 1960s? Kubrick did um, that film where they supposedly went to the moon, right? Like this, this technology has been there for a long time. You can manipulate video footage. So if other people want to use that video footage to believe that there are, there are these things up in space where people float around, again, that's fine. So long as we can all agree, that's what you're basing your beliefs on. And then I'm, and then I say, no. I don't accept those beliefs. All right, and, and I don't no. understand why that's a problem to people. If I don't accept your beliefs based on your I just don't accept it. What's the problem? Hold on. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah, there's no problem. He can believe whatever he wants. I don't care. Okay. So you, John, right? Okay. You do accept that gravity exists, yes? No. Gravity is a theory. So I accept that that's, there's a theory of gravity Okay. Exists, so it's a theory. But there's a phenomenon where things fall to the ground. Of course that exists. You know that, Anna? That, that's, a, that's obvious. Okay. So then by definition, orbits must exist because that is gravity. Okay, so do you deny that orbits exist? Okay, so you say that that is gravity. Uh, mate, gravity is yes. a theory, the theory of gravity used yes. to explain the phenomenon 
of things falling, okay? So things fall to the ground and the theory of gravity is that that falling is due to an attraction between those two objects and that attraction uh, has to do with uh, what? I mean, what, what is it that's attracting these two things? You know, you know what I mean? Like the, the point is the theory the of gravity... The mass of the two objects. The, yeah, the, the mass. It's just, well, one's got mass, the other's got mass, so they're attracted. That's, that's our theory of gravity. All right, yeah. that's a theory. That's a theory. That's, the, the, yeah. the phenomenon of falling we can all agree with. Now, from oh, that, God, if you're saying well, you can, you can have please. orbits where oh, you could please. you could throw something with enough of a trajectory or launch it with enough of a trajectory that it's constantly falling at just the amount that the Earth is curving uh, beneath below it. In theory, yeah. sure, in yeah. theory, that seems to make sense to me. I would like please, to see Please it. tell me you know what theory practice. means. Please know what theory means. Oh, God, I'm an atheist, but I'm praying. Please tell me. Please tell me you know what theory means. Please, please. John, why don't you give us a definition of theory from your view? A definition of the word theory. Yeah, yeah I mean, in not, science, not what's a scientific theory? Definition. Just what when you hear the word theory, John, what comes, what summary comes to mind? Sure. So a theory, um, just a rough definition, if you like, is um, I guess a no, bunch. We, we asked for the scientific definition of theory. The scientific definition of the word theory. Well, I can, I can look up yeah. what the scientific definition no, is. No, no, like, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. What do you think it is? Sure. So a scientific theory is uh, an explanation that is used to explain phenomenon that we can test empirically, and a theory is something that should be falsifiable. Karl Popper uh, popularized the idea that a scientific theory should be falsifiable. So you should be making uh, observations and hypotheses, and if your hypotheses turn out to be uh, accurate time and again, then you can take enough of these hypotheses and put together a theory, an explanation of the phenomena that we can test empirically. That's how I would roughly define a theory. Is that close to your understanding of the term? Um, well, yeah, I guess if you added close one enough. part, it's, it would be even, even better. It's better than what I've heard in the past. Yeah. If Actually, John, I was well, thinking... Well, what's yours? I just, gave you my science, I just gave you my explanation of the word theory. You guys tell me what yours is. My, mine, mine is actually... John, mine's very close to yours. It's one, there's, there's one part, though, that's added to it uh, that, that I think is fairly important, but yours was, yours was fairly close. Uh, well, just give me yours. I gave you mine. Yeah, it's better than some of the ones I've heard in the past. Yeah, no. Uh, no, Hillel, Hillel. Oh, you asked the question. H-I-L-L-E-L. You asked the question. Now you give me your definition of a theory. Well, oh, God. I haven't done this in a while. Well, a theory is a body of facts and evidence that is positively indicative of one conclusion over any other. It has predictive capability. It's a model with predictive capability and potential falsifiability. Okay, so can you tell me how you falsified, how you would go about falsifying the theory of gravity? I don't know. Okay, yeah. Well, actually, there was, there is a way I could definitely do it. So we could look for, you, we could look for other explanations to what's going on. So let's, uh, I'll give you an example, John. If I was to measure the rate of acceleration of an object to the ground somewhere on Earth, and it were to come up with a different value some, somewhere else, like. Uh, uniformly across Earth, you know, pretty pretty much any altitude within the atmosphere, it's around 9.8 meters per second squared. Uh, if if I were to get like 8.6 meters per second squared at the same altitude, I would start to become uh, suspicious, and I would say, no, yeah, it's not not how it works. But Emon, that's the phenomenon of things falling. The theory of gravity is meant to be an explanation as to why things are falling. 
So can you falsify the theory as to why it's happening? The theory is that it's happening because the one mass attracts the other mass or they both attract each other. That's the theory well, used to explain the phenomenon. Sure. So what you just said to me was you could falsify the theory by trying to falsify the observations of the phenomenon. That's not the issue. The issue is the theory to explain the phenomenon. How can you falsify so the claim? The theory is the reason why, why the phenomenon happens the way it is. So let's say a, a way to falsify it um, just off the top of my head uh, would be, let's say we put uh, different objects with different masses and weights in a vacuum chamber and they were to fall at radically different speeds for example maybe i'm not sure well they'd still be getting attracted to the earth wouldn't they so that wouldn't well, be yeah, but the, under the theory, of... the theory of gravity they should all fall at this under in a vacuum they should all fall at the same rate and if we don't see that that would be a problem but the theory is meant to be explaining why they're falling, not the speed yeah, at which the they're falling. The explanation right? we have is so. How do you falsify the, that theory? The ex yeah, the explanation we have for why is because of mass. And if we see there's a, some kind of problem where it's not mass, then it, that's the falsifying the theory. Yeah, cool. So can you think of any hypothetical examples that we can test just to did. see if we can falsify it? I just did. If you put things in a if he, you put objects has. with different masses, if you put objects with different masses in a vacuum chamber and they fell at radically different speeds. You're saying if they fell at radically different speeds, we yeah, know that under objects gravity, fall they to should the ground all fall the same, at a uniform under, speed, right? We know that. Because under gravity, they all fall at the same speed. It should. With or without the theory of gravity, we already know that these objects are going to fall to the ground at uniform speed, vacuum chamber or otherwise, don't we? Like the only thing that's stopping them is, is air resistance. That's not the theory. The theory is that it's happening because of their masses. So yeah, how can we falsify we can that theory? If it's not happening because of their masses, that would falsify the theory. No, that would falsify the observations that underpin the theory. The theory is that it's happening because of their masses, dude. Like you, you, yeah. you five minutes ago, you were going on I about. I don't think you're hearing the, the words that's, that's being spoken. Just saying. Look, gra the theory of gravity says that things fall at different. Um, if the, the theory describes reality, so if the theory and reality should, you know, pretty much be the same thing, so. If the theory describes reality wrong, then the theory is wrong. Look, the theory says that they should all fall at the same speed. Things with in a, in a vacuum chamber, objects with different masses fall at the same speed. If we find that that is not the case, that falsifies the theory. That would falsify the observations that led to the theory. Which would falsify the theory. That's fine, but we're going to have the observations with or without the theory. So how can well, we falsify the theory? We're going to have to come up with a new model for why things fall, and it can't be the theory of gravity because it, under gravity they should all fall at the same speed. And if it's they're not doing that, then it's not gravity. Sure, you could use that if you could find different observations. That would get rid of the observations uh, that you're using for the theory of gravity. You'd definitely have to come up with a new theory for gravity. What I'm asking is how you can falsify the theory of gravity falsify. that the reason why those objects are falling is because of no, their mass. See, you're, you're, okay, here's what you're not understanding. You're saying you would need to come up with a new theory of gravity. No, gravity would be completely out the window by, by that point. That's yeah, we what you're actually understanding. We yeah, need sure. to come up, so we've got we need to make observation. new observations we've and got come observation. up with a new theory. How can you be, like, how do you not speak English? Like, just, it's... So we've got observations. Even before anyone postulated the theory that these objects were falling because of their mass, we still had the observations that things fall. The theory is supposed to be saying that, well, it's falling because actually the mass of this object is attracted to the mass of object, and so they attract one another. So well, I'm asking to, to how give you, can you a history falsify lesson? that theory. To give you a history lesson, which I know you absolutely hate history, 
First came the laws of gravity, which was the mathematical equations to describe what was being seen. It made no attempt at what was causing gravity. It was because of Einstein who took Newton's laws and actually formed the theory of gravity by applying it to the rest of the solar system. And noticing uh -huh, how now moves. we're getting somewhere, Sean. Here we go. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. The rest of the universe. The rest of the universe. For us, I didn't say universe. I said Earth. solar system. Good try at a straw man. Solar system. Even then, space, right? For those of us here on Earth, we're going to make the same observations repeatedly that things fall. The theory of gravity, as it's postulated, there's no way for us here, the us terrestrial base of beings, to falsify it, is there? It still applies on Earth. Because once we realized how the solar system was moving, we understood how gravity was actually working, which is caused by mass. It wasn't until Einstein put all that together that we found out what the cause of gravity was. But we still don't know the cause of gravity, do we? Yes, mass. we do. That's why we have a theory of gravity. The so what's causing, says that what's it's causing it? No, so what's causing, if I drop an apple right now and it hits the ground, what's causing it to do that? The mass Under of the, the theory of gravity, of it's mass. The mass of the planet is pulling on the mass of the apple and they're coming in the they're moving towards each other. Cool. So that part of the theory, that explanation as to why it's happening. That is the entire theory. How can we falsify that? By showing that it's not by showing that the reason things fall is not mass. If we could show that it's not mass or it's not dependent on mass, then we falsify the theory. Sure, if you come up with some other theory that's better, then that's going to supersede the theory of gravity. But a then theory, I thought a scientific works. theory was meant to be falsifiable. You're that claiming is how, it's how it is falsifiable. He's you're, giving you're you an example of how you can falsify it. No, he's given an example of how other observations would reject his overall That's beliefs. That's how we that have, works. We have those don't observations. Take observations. We can't falsify it. We, we have those observations with or without the theory of gravity. This vacuum chamber, you can drop things in a vacuum chamber with or without the theory of gravity. The theory of gravity describes why they're doing that. You yes, don't have to shoot and that, people that without swords. That has no fucking correlation. That explanation of why it does that, right? It does that just because this mass is attracted to that mass. It does that just yes, because. Yes, that's the theory of gravity. This mass attracts that mass equals masses together now. That's the theory of gravity. If we could show yeah. that it is not mass, that would falsify the theory. And how could you go about showing that? I don't know. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I think I know what, exactly what John's looking for. So uh, we make this assumption that math, that gravity, gravitational pull, or the ability to generate a gravitational field is an inherent property of mass itself. I think what John's asking for is a deeper explanation that would del delve into quantum physics as to why exactly that happens. And we actually right. do have some good leads on it now. He wants I, a I actually, I, I, think he's ask, I think he's looking for that it's not falsifiable and therefore not scientific. I'm pretty okay. sure that's what he's looking for. Well, it could be falsifiable. I just want to know how to go about trying to falsify it. I, I honestly uh, put two objects in a vacuum chamber and make the and if they fall at different speeds, you falsified it. They're still going to be falling to Earth as things have always done. But the theory of gravity well, no, isn't simply about fall, things falling if, to if Earth. It's meant fall, to be at everything no, in the John, sky. John, okay, John, John, John. The theory John. of gravity explains why they fall like they do. 
If you put two objects in a vacuum, look, here's how you falsify. You put two objects in a vacuum chamber, and then they fall at different speeds. That's how you falsify it. Things have because always fallen to Earth. Always. That's why it hasn't things. been falsified yet. Well, ju well it just can't be falsified. Things have always fallen to Earth at a uniform speed. That's always happened. With or without gravity, that's always happened. Why the theory has not been falsified yet? Because it can't be. Because it works. Just, just to point out that another part of the Cavendish experiment, the two balls that he used were measured to be attracted to each other because of gravity. So wait, John, what, what was causing uh, the attraction between the two lead balls uh, if, they, if, if, if there was no gravity involved? I'm not convinced and, uh, there was any attraction, dude. Have you read the Cavendish experiment? Like, have you downloaded the PDF and just read it for yourself? <laughs> well, uh, not the whole PDF, though. I've, 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 well, I've I, rec it. I recommend that you do, and then ask yourself if you actually believe that what this man claimed happened, happened. Well, since well your whole argument is time, incredulity. Yes. You think it's, your whole argument, John, is incredulity. You think because it sounds amazing to me, it therefore must be false. I'm not saying I, it I, must I, be false. There are some ridiculously amazing things in our world, and I should say... It could be true. Let, let me explain something to you guys. It's not a binary where you either have to believe it is true, it definitely happened, or it's false, it definitely didn't happen. It may have happened. Many things in the past may have happened. I don't Here's have to say thing, definitely the true or definitely false. Now, the Cavendish experiment, I say... Maybe some man could determine the mass of the Earth 200 years ago in his shed with the heavy balls. Maybe he could. I personally don't believe that he did. I don't believe anybody could do it today, let alone Actually, 200 years ago. Hang on for a second, because this okay. is something that needs to be pointed out. He, he actually said that it, it, it hasn't been falsified, therefore it's unfalsifiable, therefore it's false. Right? So I wonder, has any, does anyone know if the germ theory of disease has been falsified? I don't think it has. No. Does anyone know if... Well, I don't know. Pick any scientific theory that we currently work with. Have Cell they theory, been positive... germ theory, atomic theory... Uh, I, I'm scared to bring up evolutionary According theory. to John LeBon's logic here, all of those are false and not working. Look, the reason that's they're... A, that's, still... Just rewind it. I, I promise you, rewind it. You will hear him say that it hasn't been falsified, therefore it cannot be falsified, therefore it's false. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it hasn't been falsified, this theory of gravity, because it can't be. Things have always fallen to the ground. Look, I'm not saying it's not scientific. How do you know they have always fallen at a uniform speed? How do I know that objects have always fallen at a uniform speed? Yes. Mind but blown. Just based, based on my own observations, like, uh, do I know going back a million years that they always did? No. I just based on my own observations and what most of us uh, take on face value, objects fall at 9 whatever meters per second per second, right? Now, if you're saying that they haven't always done that, that's fine. I'm happy to change my understanding. But right now, it seems to me as though we're on the, the same page here. And that's, 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 what it, towards the Earth. that's what it's explaining. You don't have to actually falsify something for it to be true. Look, no, it could be true. There are, are self-evident truths. But if it's a scientific theory, then it should be falsifiable. And I just they don't understand how you no, okay. falsify no, 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 John, Okay, I don't think John understands that a, a scientific theory being falsifiable doesn't mean that you actually have to prove it to be false. 
No, I'm asking Look, how you could falsify it. And you're, you're trying to tell me, oh, well, if, if we observed objects falling at different speeds, that would falsify it. No, that would change our entire understanding of that objects falling. No, that, no reason... that would falsify the theory of gravity, and we would need to toss that entire word out and find a new model. Can I say something real quick? The reason things are still theories and have not yet been falsified is because they work and because they accurately describe reality. A theory isn't necessarily it, – it has the ability to be falsified. It doesn't mean that it necessarily will be, but it has the capacity to be falsified. The reason we still have them is because they have not yet been falsified, because they have made every prediction – every prediction they've made has been correct. Every they're all based on observations, and what they're all based on facts, and they're all based on what the theory we of gravity now. Made? What predictions has the theory of gravity made that have come true? That things will, for starters, let's say that things, if they're put in a vacuum chamber, will fall at the same speed. That's a prediction made because it's oh, it should only be true if that's true. Because this, you're saying you're because, saying objects in a vacuum chamber should only fall. At a uniform speed, if the theory of gravity is true. Yeah. Am I wrong? Is anyone else in the panel here going to panel? Anyone else here going to correct me about that? No. Not, not to my understanding. Oh, um, I, I felt like bringing up an important piece of information that I think we're all looking, uh, all, all overlooking. Uh, is 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 any is anybody here familiar with the Merkowitz and Gulick uh, redoing of the Cavendish experiment in 2000, where they had no, actually? We need to back away from your mic. Okay. Wait. Is it the one with the laser thingy? I forget what the rig is called. Oh, I love yeah, science. It gives us delicious lasers. But yeah, lasers. Uh, Gullick, uh, two two uh, two astrophysicists by the name of Gullick and uh, Merkowitz, they were able to re replicate the Cavendish experiment and get get, get basically a, a value that was far more accurate than Cavendish actually got. And so they were able to replicate it. Um, but was it just merely fake? To try to keep up the illusion of gravity. Well, I just want to clear something up. Hello, I muted you because you're breathing directly in your mic, and Iman, I can barely hear him when you're doing that. Okay. Sorry. Now, I don't want to get too off topic, but there's one other thing I wanted to bring up with you guys, just to kind of have a laugh at. I don't know, maybe diffuse the tension. Some something that I had uh, I had seen today that it just kind of made me crack up and, you know, gig. I sort of had a facepalm reaction as well. Could I say it? I don't object. <laughs> okay, yeah. It is a bit off topic. Well, it kind of is. It, it kind of is on topic, but it's not. Um, anyway, I I heard um, there's a guy on YouTube. Uh, let's see. He has a, uh, let's see. He has a, another channel called Zombie Symmetry, but his main channel is called The Quagmire. And um, he uh, he had actually he had he'd done a video that was uh, based on something that Rob Skiba had done, and I'm pretty sure you guys have all heard of Rob Skiba, you know, crazy religious fundamentalist, uh, you know, like we're we're talking like Stephen Anderson ISIS level, you know, execute the gays, but he he had um he had gone out on so yes, one second, I gotta handle something. Um, to to be fair, I wouldn't call Rob's um crazy, but he is definitely um, very opinionated. Well put. 
Anyway, yeah, I'll get back to what I was saying. Uh, he had released a video. Now, uh, Rob Skiba is a FE proponent, if I could call him that. And um, so he had actually he had gone out onto Lake Michigan uh, to try to prove that. The... One second. Hey, Red. Guess what? Okay, yeah. Anyway, My sorry. My mic works I... now, fucker. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I had to deal with that. Uh, anyway, though, so basically he had tr he had tried to prove that you could see the entire Chicago skyline by actually going to the lake and boating with a friend um, out toward Chicago uh, to see what the skyline does as you approach it. Little did he know that the – well, I'm, I'm sure he knew. All the footage he recorded actually correlated nearly perfectly due to conditions with a spherical Earth. And, you know, I looked at the comments, and I saw, oh, great proof of flat Earth. And I was like, how thick are these people? No, yeah, like I, I, I could share with everyone here the, the quagmire actually made an oh. info uh, graphic showing how much of the tower is visible at what distance. Well, before we get into all this, before we get into all this, I want to make the point. Before we get into all that, I got to make the point that um, I get up in the morning at 3 a.m. and it's already 11:28, so I'm not actually well past my bedtime. I don't want to try to cut it short, but I just want to let you guys, guys know that here pretty soon I will have to cut it out so I can go to sleep. Okay, makes sense. Pansy. Oh, if that's the case, then I might as well wrap it up. Well, Sean, thanks for inviting me, man. I um, didn't know what to expect when I got that invite on Skype, and uh, you know, hopefully the listeners have got something out of this. But what I've found, my experience is that uh, most people, they don't really change their minds about things very much at all. So if their minds are set right now that the Earth is flat, good luck trying to change their minds. If their minds are set right now that what they've been presented as as reality, this heliocentric model, is true. Good luck changing their minds, and uh, you know I don't I don't see any of you dudes as my enemies, and I know a lot of you see me as your enemy, but you can just ignore me. Like I don't believe what you believe, just ignore me. Like I'm not the one I'm not the one inviting you guys to my hangouts. I'm not the one spamming your chats. I'm just doing my thing on YouTube. You know what I mean? I'm not anyone's enemy. So if you get good pieces of evidence to send through to me, I'll look at it. But in the meantime, I just don't subscribe to your belief system. And you know that doesn't mean that um, we're enemies. Like, you, you, you guys are probably nice guys. Like there's no, I've got no beef here. You know what I mean? There's more important things going on than the the model that best describes the you know the things that we see in the sky. You see what I'm saying? Well, don't take off yet. I got to say something before you go. I just want to thank you for coming to the hangout. I did not know it would be this confrontational. I just thought we were just gonna you know just shoot the shit. And I, I sort of apologize for that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff brought up, and I really wasn't expecting all the confrontation that you got, that you got from this. So I do yeah, apologize Yeah, that's, that's cool, that. man. Oh, that, look, it's out of your hands, man. Once you invite people to a hangout, how the other people behave is out of your hands, man. So there's no need to apologize, man. Like, this happens. I do look forward to the day, though, that I can go into a hangout with a bunch of people who believe in flat earth. Because this happens to me with flat earthers now, too. You know what I mean? I've, I've had flat earthers in private chats storm off, say the most hideous things about me, delete me on Skype because I challenge their belief system. Okay, so this happens to me all the time. I challenge people's belief systems. They get upset about it. This happens to me all the time. I'm just hoping that at some point in the future, I can sit down with people who believe in flat earth or they believe in heliocentrism. We can sit down. We can point out why we don't agree with each other. No one has to call any names, storm off, get angry. Like I look forward to that day, and maybe we're getting there slowly. Maybe. I don't know. I'm optimistic. That's our hope, too. But again, i got to say, though, uh, really quickly, John, it's honestly been a pleasure talking to you. I don't really get to do this sort of thing, and I, I just want to say, I don't see you as my enemy, so cheers. It's been great talking to you, though. Cool. I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Well, look, feel free to invite me to another hangout in the future, and, and hopefully now that we've got a lot of this stuff sort of um, 
out of our system so we can sort of press forward. Because, hey, I'm pretty sure everyone on this panel right now and in the live chat, we all agree that flat earthers are wrong, right? Like, we've got a, we've got something in common there. So At least the we can agree on that. This, yeah, and I've, I've probably put out more videos. I mean, Red's put out a lot of videos doing that, I guess. But I've probably put out more videos proving this than most of the people in the live chat. So all of these people in the live chat saying, oh, GLB, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, guys, I've done more to disprove flat earth than you guys have. You know, not, not, not all of them. Red, Red has done his fair share. That's great. But... Uh, even then, he's mostly trying to do that by proving another model. Whereas I'm simply saying, well, let's look at the flat Earth belief. Let's just look at that. Not try and prove other things. Let's just look at their beliefs. And it turns out their beliefs don't measure up to observed phenomenon. Don't observe uh, match up to observed reality. You see? So we've well, we've actually got a lot in common, uh, me and many of you guys in the live chat, in that we don't agree with the flat Earthers. A lot of people, the whole reason they're here is because they're against the flat Earthers. Like the flat Earth has become the thing to uh, rally against. You see what I'm saying? So like it. You guys have the flat earthers as your enemies. Well, I don't see them as my enemies because I agree with them about you guys being wrong about heliocentrism. But I try and work with where I agree with people rather than just focus on the differences all the time. I don't really think it's that constructive. Like, let's be honest here. Has anyone really changed their mind from this to our chat? No. They're not going to change their mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most, most of the people in this chat believe the same model that they believed when they were five years old. Okay? Now, if they haven't changed their belief about the model in 15, 20, 30 years, they're not going to change it in two hours. Well, to be fair, since you've joined the Hangout, you were, you were nice enough to do that. Um, I'd advise you to look at some of the videos on my channel, just so you can see the, where, some of the point, places where I'm coming from. I will. Um, I'll, I'll make sure I subscribe to you next to Like I said at the start, I didn't realize you were the guy who moderated the zeteticism um, debate. And in that debate, Red's rhetoric, I think, spanked zeteticism. And I'll tell you why he did, because he was smarter in that debate than he was in the Ball Earth Skeptic 11. He was smart enough just to focus on the flat Earth beliefs. Rather than, it's very hard to prove your own model for a number of reasons. Just focus on their model. So in that debate, I thought he was way smarter than he was in the Ball Earth 11 debate, where he got he he got trapped basically. Well, he didn't. Mare got trapped trying to prove uh, Cavendish, which, as we've seen today, is uh, fraught with danger. So Reds was much smarter. I think Reds has improved in in what he's doing. And hopefully, if there's one thing we can all agree on by having these hangouts challenging each other's beliefs, throwing questions at each other, letting each other speak, hopefully we're all improving. I learned something from that Baller Skeptic 11 debate. I've, I've learned heaps from each bit as we go. And Sean, the work that you did moderating that chat with um, Zetheticism and Reds, I thought you did terrific work. And I, I, tried, like, I took stuff from what you did and tried to use it in my debate with Antonio the Flat Earther. You see, So I'm happy to say here, I'm learning from people. I'm getting better as I go. And hopefully the others can feel the same way. But I'm going to take off now, guys. I've got to get going. But thanks for the invite, Sean. And uh, hopefully we can also leave this uh, feeling as though we're, we're better for it. And if you invite me again in the future and I'm free, I'll uh, happily come for a chat. And, and also, Sean, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind cutting some of this out and uploading it to my channel. Is that cool with you? Um, I'm kind of leery about having people cut things out because things tend to get edited, out, edited and taken out of context. So if you're wanting to use it on your channel, I'd rather prefer you left it unedited. Uh, what if I just took the chunk that I'm in and uploaded that in my bulk go, no editing within the chunk? That I could accept. Beautiful. I'll be doing that in the next few days, and I'll try and uh, direct listeners to come here for the rest of the show. And I uh, wish all of you a lovely uh, Saturday evening and uh, what have you, and we'll all uh, speak sometime in the future. All right. You have a good night. Thanks, guys. So there you have it. After just two years of intensive deprogramming, I can now handle myself in an ambush situation with YouTube's leading scientism spruikers and utterly embarrass them. If you were to play what you just heard to a regular normie and somehow force them to pay attention to the entire thing, 
What do you think they would make of it? I would suggest that most, if not all, people who believe in heliocentrism before listening to this will still believe in heliocentrism afterwards. Once you understand why people believe what they do, you understand why so few will ever change their fundamental beliefs. Whenever we were first taught that we lived on a giant spinning ball, we were not shown a debate between a believer and a genuine skeptic. We were told that everybody believes, and the only people who don't are either ancient, long-dead morons, or crazy people we laugh at and ostracize, or even put in special hospitals and prisons. From that point, the belief is set, becoming more rigid with every passing day, new layers such as the moon landings and other NASA shenanigans being applied on top of the fundamental belief, along with countless space-based fantasy films and television shows, making it harder and harder for any individual to undo the fundamental programming. When that programming is short-circuited by a genuine skeptic, the results are both comical and tragic. You just heard that for yourself. Will any of the members of that ambush party change their minds, having been thoroughly and utterly embarrassed by a man they considered to be crazy? Highly unlikely. Does it matter to them that the skeptic knew more about the Cavendish experiment than any of them did? Only for as long as they allow themselves to think about it, which won't be long at all. Such is the nature of cognitive dissonance. And yet, I know for a fact that the programming can be undone, for I have undone it myself. On the topic of heliocentrism and so many others, I have uninstalled the programming inflicted upon me almost from birth. This despite the fact that I did very well in school, right through university, and was a huge fan of Stargate SG-1 and other science fiction nonsense while growing up. My deprogramming has been turbocharged by the fact that I present some of my findings to a public audience, which has forced me to be meticulous and calculated in my research and thinking. I have also been fortunate enough to follow in the footsteps of other researchers and content producers, some of whom may never know how much benefit their work brought others, such as myself. The result is that I now feel as though, at age 29, I'm one of the least programmed peasants in Western society today. By peasant, I mean a person who is not party to the lie system's operation. It's my inference, and this is only an inference, that there may exist a greater group of people out there who know, for instance, that scientism's claims about heliocentrism are comically absurd. Whether these people comprise an ethno-religious tribe or subgroup thereof, a fraternal order, a secret society, ancient bloodlines, some combination of these or so forth, I do not know and might never know. To an extent which may surprise many of you, at this point, I'm not overly concerned with trying to find out in the short term. I feel I've got much more deprogramming to do before I can successfully arrive at a stable conclusion regarding who or what is at the root level of the lie system. What I do know is that if these people exist in our material realm, there is something which keeps them from telling us how amusing our common myths are to those outside of the cave. To an extent, I can understand this. The ruse has likely been going on since before they were individually born, so it is not their fault per se. If they were, as individuals, to try to tell the masses the truth, they would only upset them, just as I clearly upset Red's rhetoric, Atheist Rex, and their friends. Consider a single actor from among the group who run the show. 
his chances of actually changing people's minds on the micro scale might be no greater than my own. And as you've just heard for yourself, my own chances are slim indeed. Anybody raised to know that heliocentrism is a myth would also, I infer, have been trained to understand the power of programming and conditioning. For the average adult who has been indoctrinated to believe he lives on a giant spinning ball, there is almost no hope that he will change his mind, even when his ridiculous views and lack of knowledge about his own beliefs are laid bare in front of a live audience. Some of you may counter that, in fact, hundreds and possibly thousands of people around the world have relinquished heliocentrism as evidenced by the support for leading flat earth promoters. Indeed, this is true, but these people have left one inherently flawed belief system for an even worse one. At least heliocentrism is internally consistent once you accept their baseless and ridiculous key assumptions. Flat Earth, on the other hand, requires you to accept absurd assumptions and overlook internal inconsistencies. It even requires you to change your mind from week to week as the leading spruikers change their own. Which way do the stars in the Southern Hemisphere rotate? Tune in this week to find out. These people are not proof of deprogramming, but in fact the most compelling proof of the power of programming. Their base level, animal-like loyalty to their beloved authority remains strong. It is simply the authority figures they have faith in which have changed. Those of you who understand what I mean by the term programming will also understand what I mean when I say that the flat earth believers are in fact better evidence of the power of programming than the scientism believers featured earlier in this podcast. The programming is not merely about particular beliefs, it is about belief itself. An important distinction which even many seemingly awake people may never grasp. It has been well over a year now since I first brought wider attention to the Cavendish experiment, live on the air during the same Besser 11 which featured Red's rhetoric. Subsequent to that show, some other YouTubers went on to follow in my footsteps and make their own videos critiquing Cavendish's heavy balls in a shed. The experiment had been addressed earlier by Miles Mathis in his typically tedious style. I don't know when his paper was first released, but it can't have been later than 2011 because I've seen it referenced in forum posts dated to that time. In other words, Miles was at least four years ahead of me in covering Cavendish, and yet neither his own work nor anything I've found subsequent to it addressed the purported experiment in the way I did, with genuine skepticism. For instance, Mathis' paper claims that Cavendish did in fact weigh the earth, but merely with poor methodology. I say that any man who thinks anybody can weigh the earth is either taking the piss or drinking the Kool-Aid. And so we live in strange times. A man not even 30 years old from the southeast of Melbourne, who has spent the past five years in Brisbane, much of it drunk, I'm not very proud to admit, now living out of a suitcase, appears to be at the cutting edge of genuine scepticism of the modern religion of scientism. I say this without hubris because, as those of you who have followed my work for long enough will know, it has pained me to come to the realization that I have inspired literally zero people to engage in this kind of work to the extent that I do. I would prefer to be one among a sea of genuine skeptics, doing the research and creating the content to unravel the lies of this lie system, not only for the benefit of the collective, but for the benefit of each person as an individual. 
The rings I ran around the heliocentrist in that hangout, I could not have run around them two years ago. As the true martial artist feels more at peace in the world around him, afraid of no man, so too does the genuine skeptic feel at peace, afraid of no authority, orthodoxy, or error. This is a peace I wish for all. It is clear, however, that my work has not and will not inspire others as I had intended it to do. It is also clear that although a genuine skeptic like myself may embarrass and undermine scientism's spruikers, this leaves a vacuum to be filled by an even worse kind of character, the Flat Earth Charlatans. In just the last week or two, in September-October 2016, we've seen one Flat Earth YouTube character collect thousands of dollars worth of donations after crying on camera and telling his listeners that he needed their money to put food on the table for his kids. We've seen leading Flat Earth promoters on YouTube collect untold amounts of money for their latest balloon experiment, which, just like all of their previous experiments, failed to do anything but line their pockets with the money of fools. It seems likely that this will be an ongoing hustle, like the ancient alien's malarkey, which has yielded untold riches for those who have been spruiking it for decades. My work in exposing the lies of scientism was intended to help the masses, no matter how few of them might tune into my work. Clearly, my work has actually done more to help the smarter and more devious of the masses, charlatans cashing in on the people who can now see that heliocentrism is bunkum, but want something else to cling on to. Poor sods who can no longer believe in heliocentrism, but have been fundamentally programmed to believe in something. As a genuine skeptic, I have zero interest in replacing one set of lies with another. This left a void which the charlatans have been all too happy to fill, and fill it they have, with endless live hangouts, punctuated with Google ads, repetitive and mundane videos about NASA, also punctuated by Google ads, and even overpriced flat-earth paraphernalia direct from China. This is all antithetical to what I arrived in this scene to do in the first place. And this is why I've avoided releasing much scientism skepticism material for the past few months. My research hasn't stopped, but the content production on these topics largely has. Even the hangout which is the centerpiece of this podcast was not one I asked for or intended. I was randomly invited into a hangout on a morning I happened to be free, and what followed was a genuine skeptic doing what a genuine skeptic does. This is also why it has taken me so long to repost the material to my own website or channel, despite having, as you heard for yourself, permission to do so. It's also why I'm posting this in audio-only format as a filter against the kind of audience I do not want to attract. When I listened back to this hangout recently, it crystallized in my mind that I have much good work yet to do in exposing the lies of scientism. What I have released publicly so far is only a portion of what my research has already revealed to me, and I've much more research still to do. The obvious problem is that if I release it publicly, the main people who stand to truly benefit are the charlatans. The solution to my problem is now also obvious. I need to limit this kind of work to those who truly value it and will not abuse it. Not those who like it because it makes them feel good or feel smart, but those who recognize the fundamental importance of genuine skepticism and the findings it can reveal because they can see practical application of this information for their own lives and outlooks, because they appreciate the utility of undermining the lies, not to fill the void with new lies,
but simply to be rid of the original lies in the first place. These are the people my future work on the lies of scientism, specifically heliocentrism, will be shared with. At some point in the near future, I'll equip my website, johnlebon.com, with a members-only section. There you will find more podcasts like this one, as well as a selection of other unique material in video, audio, and written format. Cutting-edge skepticism you will not find elsewhere, except perhaps bastardized versions of it via charlatans who want to undo the lies you were taught at school, only to replace them with a new set of lies from which they can profit. During my time in this scene, I've been fortunate enough to find several other independent researchers releasing good material, and I've promoted all of them via my own channels. To name just a few, Jan Irvin of Gnostic Media has done terrific work on thinking via the trivia method and the intelligence-sponsored counterculture revolution of the 1960s to the present day. Kyle Hunt of Renegade Broadcasting has done good work exposing white genocide and the JQ, as well as networking with fellow independent researchers who cover similar topics. Ab of Fakeologist has done good work aggregating the exposés of media fakery and culture creation. These people and more have all inspired me to go beyond their own research to do my own. None of these individuals, so far as I am aware, has looked as deeply as I have at what I call the teeny hoaxes. Heliocentrism, human evolution theory, dinosaurs, atomic theory, and war. They certainly haven't broached what I call the daddy hoaxes, an area in which I keep hoping to find others who have realized what I've realized and keep finding none. They may well be out there, but I've looked far and wide to find them and haven't found them yet. Now, this isn't to say that I'm smarter or wiser than everybody else involved in independent media, because I clearly am not. All of the content creators I mentioned earlier, as well as many, many others, have produced work which has gone well beyond my own on their own particular topics of interest. Where I feel I differ is the breadth and depth of my own research and the findings this has yielded. One man questions modern culture via a certain thinking method, ostensibly from antiquity. I question why people believe in antiquity in the first place. One man questions a certain and specific aspect of World War II history. I question all of World War II. One man questions the power of media fakery. I question why he doesn't talk about who runs the media and what they have planned for the Gentiles. These men have all helped me and can help you too, but I feel I've got my own unique perspective, findings, and content to offer. Of course, I will continue to release content entirely free for public consumption. Going forward, I'll focus on what genuine skepticism actually is and how thinking about thinking can be far more useful than compiling more facts and evidence to support new or old beliefs. I'll also continue to do my part in the information war, one currently being resoundingly won by the cultural Marxists and critical theorists, doing their utmost to convince the regular peasantry that Western values either don't exist or are somehow evil. I'll continue to do this work because I know deep down it is the right thing for people like me to do. I began this journey two years ago with the intention of influencing the public debate in a positive way, and now that the Marxists in my country are teaching school children that transgenderism is normal, the importance of my work is greater now than it ever was. I'll also be producing content for a limited audience, those who value genuine skepticism and what it can yield when applied to the modern religion of scientism. It will be a premium service accessible only to those who truly value it, 
even if this means that it is only accessed by a small handful of people. In my country, it costs $5 for a commercial coffee. If somebody truly values the more abstract and esoteric work that I do, work on things like scientism, then they'll happily part with one commercial coffee per week for the privilege. For those who value the coffee over my work, the good news is that, as I said, the work on cultural Marxism and how to think will continue to be released completely for free. Please see johnlebon.com for more information. If you're listening to this after about mid-October 2016, be sure to check out the members page on that website. Please leave all feedback regarding this podcast on the relevant post at johnlebon.com where I endeavor to reply to each and every comment as soon as possible. I hope you've enjoyed this content and if so, be sure to share it with family and friends who you believe might also benefit from it. Remember that the only person in this scene who really cares about you is you. So until next time, take care of yourselves.